people in her position is preventing them from living full lives. The Treasury will announce plans this week to invest in major infrastructure projects after reaching agreement with all government departments on cutting spending by £11.5 billion. The Business Secretary Vince Cable was the last minister to settle his budget. Our political correspondent Ian Watson reports. Every government department has now reached an agreement with the Treasury on their budgets for 2015-16, the year of the general election. The deal with Vince Cable was signed off only last night following a phone call earlier in the day with his fellow Liberal Democrat Danny Alexander, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury. On Wednesday, the Chancellor will outline where the axe will fall most heavily and which departments will escape relatively unscathed. But then on Thursday, Danny Alexander will spell out how some of the savings will be reinvested in infrastructure projects such as new housing, road and rail improvements and faster broadband. And there'll be more on this in the next hour with Ian Lee. A report by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors has accused successive governments of failing to produce a coherent housing strategy. It says more should be done to encourage house building and tackle price inflation in the property market. Michael Newey chairs the RICS Housing Commission, which produced the report. Over the 10 years between 2001 and 2011, house prices went up by almost 100%, where average wages only went up by about 24-25%. As a result, we've got real affordability issues and we've got an undersupply of housing. Somewhere along the lines, we've actually got to break that syndrome because we can't carry on in an environment where house prices continue romping out of control compared to wages. Sport, the All England Championships get underway at Wimbledon today. Andy Murray begins his campaign with a first-round tie against Benjamin Becker on centre court. The weather today, sunshine and showers, but feeling much warmer than yesterday with a top temperature of 19 degrees Celsius, that's 66 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties. She's a part-time news lady. Catherine Boyle comes in when she feels like it. Oh, I'm all out of breath. I had to, I've got a new bag. You see, I've got a new bag. And uh, it was my birthday present. Uh, yeah, I know. All of my things are in my old bag. I've not made the, the, the migration. This will link into what I'm talking about in a second. Of items from old bag, good bag, to new bag. Not such good bag, but I feel I have to use it, otherwise I look ungrateful. So I dashed to the studio next door to get a pen. I dashed back, barely made it. Now I'm out of breath. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Monday, lots happening today, including I get a rabbit. I know, I know, I never wanted one. I actually had an argument with my wife two weeks ago about getting one. Suddenly we're getting one and I'm being put in charge of cleaning it. What? Well, I don't know. Do, do rabbits make good pets? Let's get an expert on, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. We can do that because of the unique way the BBC is funded. Any rabbit tips will be gratefully welcome. 08459 455 555. Right, lots coming up, including new research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government introduced its migration cap. Well, is the UK welcoming to foreigners? Over the weekend, Andy Murray's mum has said she's worried that tennis is still middle class and elitist. Wimbledon starts today. Big yawn. Uh, Is tennis just for toffs? And 
Do you own a caravan or do you find them incredibly annoying? A Bedford councillor has caused a row with some of her neighbours over a mobile home parked on her driveway for over a year. Isn't it time we banned people from owning caravans? It's not 1978 anymore. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or the best way, of course, and all of the phone lines are free at the moment, you can give me a call. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. So, the UK, is it welcoming to foreigners? What do you think? Do you, do you welcome them with open arms or do you shun them? New research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government introduced its migration cap. More than 10% of the students at the University of Bedfordshire are international. Well, the cap limits the number of people from outside of the EU who can work in the UK. And earlier this month, research from Universities UK showed British universities had a decline in numbers of students coming here from India and Pakistan. Well, Alice Sakrida is a researcher from the Institute for Public Policy Research. Morning, Alice. Hi, morning. Alice, I understand you're working on a project at the moment that looks at the impact of the coalition's policies on overseas students coming here to study. Uh, yes, we, we do. That's right. Yeah. And, and what, what exactly is that showing? Do you think overseas students planning on coming here to study feel welcome? Well, I think there's a big problem at the moment um, with the way that we welcome international students. Um, the, the government is trying to bring down net migration from the hundreds of thousands um, to the tens of thousands. Um, and in doing that, it's sending out quite a damaging message to international students as they are the, the sort of easiest route to cut. Um, and in fact, student migration is actually a bit like tourism. Students come to the UK to study, and then they tend to go back again. Um, so this is actually really quite damaging to our economy. What, what are the downsides to restricting numbers? Well, international students um, actually contribute huge amounts to their local economies, to the universities that they come to study at, um, and actually in some cases allow courses to run because they... Um, take courses like science, technology, engineering and maths and those kind of courses rely quite heavily on international students to actually run. So cuts in the numbers could mean that British students actually lose out. There will be some people listening, uh, Alice, who say we don't need that many foreigners and foreign students coming over here. Yeah, I think um, some people are concerned about that and I, and I think that's an understandable concern. But the majority of people think that if people come here and contribute something, then it's okay for them to be here. And especially if they're going to go away in a few years' time, then that's the kind of migration that, that people welcome. Um, it, it's, um, it's hugely beneficial to local areas and to students working at the universities and, and colleges. Um, international students on the whole tend to be highly motivated and committed. Um, they bring innovation and international connections, and that, that, that's what we should be encouraging. What, what international connections does a student from Delhi bring? Well, it's somebody who comes to the UK and um, 
and in future years becomes an entrepreneur might choose to um, build business links with the UK. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's interesting to note that um, in Canada, they, um, they actually recently recommended doubling the number of international students that they try to attract over the next 10 years because they recognise just how much they contribute um, to, to the economy. What, 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 I'm not hearing specifics, Alec. What, what, what specifics do they contribute to the economy that a student from Britain wouldn't, wouldn't bring? Because if, if it's still the same number of students in a small town, they'll still be using the shops and using the local services, won't they, whether they're from Britain or from, from Pakistan? Well, international students pay higher fees, so they tend to contribute more. I mean, they're at a time at the moment when universities are actually really um, struggling, and a lot of universities um, are finding that they're um, they're struggling to kind of to, to to run at the moment. They need the extra finances that international students bring, both in their courses. Um, and also, they have um, they they treat the experience like. Um, like they're tourists, they, they spend a lot of money locally, they bring family to come to the UK for holidays, um, they build those, those um, trade links in the future. And so and this really is the kind of migration that, that people aren't, uh, don't tend to be as concerned about. And, and so we think that we should try to encourage it and, and try to ensure that we have a, a growth-led recovery in this way. The migration, the, the migration cap that's in place isn't aimed at students, is it? So why is this affecting the number of students? Well, it's more about the kind of message that we're sending out. Um, so we're putting a limit on the number of skilled migrants who can come to work in the UK, but this is all part of a package of measures that are all trying to bring down net migration. Um, so the number of people coming in take away the number of people leaving. Uh, but again, some people will, will say that, we, that whatever we need to do to it, it reduce the number of, of migrants and, and keep British jobs, then we should, we should be doing that. Well, I think, I think people tend to, to worry more if people aren't contributing. So I think a lot of people have very, very understandable concerns about people who come to the UK who don't contribute and who don't pay into the system. Um, and I think we should be doing more to try to address that kind of migration and look at the impacts of that on our country rather than focusing on students who actually contribute a huge amount and 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 people recognize that and um a lot of people would be more than happy for more students to come because they know that they're they're they, they give a huge amount so. alice just 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 to recap do you think that we uh, as a nation are welcoming enough to immigrants no, I don't, and I, and I think we should be more welcoming. Alice, thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Alice Crader, who is a researcher with the Institute for Public Policy Research. We invited the Immigration Minister, Mark Harper, to come on. He said, uh-uh. but he gave us a statement, for, or a statement from the Home Office, which says there is no limit on the number of genuine students who can come here. The latest figures show the number of international students applying for visas to attend UK universities has increased by 5%. We have overhauled the student visa regime to tackle abuse while protecting the university sector. Well, what do you think? Are we welcoming enough to foreigners? Beds, hearts and bucks, do, do we embrace them enough? Good for the economy? Bring business? Can initiate trade links? 08459 455 555. And if you uh, have come here from overseas, what do you think? Do you, have you felt welcome? 08459 455 555. Like 
Cause it's just like us There's a cold and lonely light that shines from you You wind up like the wreck you hide Behind that mask you use And did you think this fool could never win? Well look at me, I'm coming back again I got a taste of love in a simple way And if you need to know while I'm still standing You just fade away Don't you know I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a Three Counties Radio. This morning, are we welcoming enough to foreigners? 08459 455 555. Also, caravans and tennis. It's a busy show this morning. Here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. All looking very good on the roads. We've got problems already on the trains, though. First Capital Connect running with disruption between King's Cross and Cambridge and King's Cross and Peterborough because of overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City. Some of the northbound lines have been blocked off. For the moment, there's a replacement bus service running from Stevenage through to Letchworth Garden City and a reduced timetable running for other services. East Coast are affected by these works as well, to and from King's Cross and Peterborough, and their journeys are being extended by up to a around 20 minutes. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 6.16, Monday the 24th of June. These are your headlines. The family of the murdered teenager, Stephen Lawrence, say they're shocked by claims that undercover police were told to find ways to smear them. The Luton woman, whose petition against care cuts achieved over 45,000 signatures, will hand it into Downing Street later on. 
In sport, Andy Murray begins his Wimbledon campaign with a first-round tie against Benjamin Becker on centre court later. Coming up, caravans. Should we make it illegal for people to own those things? They're ugly, they're a nuisance on the roads, and it's not 1978, is it? BBC Three Counties Radio. Can you tell I hate them? If you've missed any of the programmes from the last week, you've missed things like this. It was awful, because I think my dad, I don't know whether, I think he was the first celebrity, really, to sort of get sectioned. But there is a way you can hear it all again. I'm about to speak to Rachel Bruno. She was just 16 years old when her very famous father was sectioned. Go to bbc.co.uk slash three counties and click on Listen Again. All of our programmes are available for seven days, allowing you to listen to what you missed or things you'd love. To hear again. BBC.co.uk slash three counties. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry. You say you're gonna leave. You know it's a lie, cause that'll be the day when I die. Well, you give me all your loving and your the hurt of loving. Ready for the most boring two weeks of the year? Wimbledon starting. Oh no, it's so. Dun 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 dun. dun. Oh no, that's the cricket. What's the Wimbledon? The Wimbledon's got a theme tune, isn't it? It's got a, there's a Wimbledon song, isn't there? Dun 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 dun. dun. No, that's tennis. That's the cricket again. I can't think of what the, the tennis song is. Tennis has got a song. It's so boring. Basically, for two weeks, I won't know what channel Neighbours is on. It's, it just completely screws up. Uh, with my television viewing, it's dull, it's tedious, it's elitist. Tennis is just for toffs. Even um, Andy Murray's mum agrees. In The Observer yesterday, Judy Murray 
shortage of free courts will keep tennis elitist. Elitist. Tennis is just for toffs, isn't it? Isn't it, Stephen in Shambrook? No, it's not. Come on. If it was for tosses, then there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of toss around, because that is absolutely heaving come those two weeks. Well, there are a lot of toss. But, but, but Wimbledon, what they do is they make you think, you, the common man, and me, Stephen, we are common men. Wimbledon makes us think that we are welcome into their elite, um, the, the toffish club. We're not really. They just want our money. How have you know? I've served at Wimbledon. Would you want a tennis ball? No, with milk and cream. There you go, you yeah. see. That's not proper serving. You ser- you served milk at tennis uh, at Wimbledon. Yes, yes. Three three years did that on the trot um, for two weeks. Best two weeks of of my working life. That was those for those three years. That was great fun. What do you mean? You, what do you mean you were serving milk? Well, we well we had the contract to serve them. We used to go in there before all us um, all the toffs and us lower class people got in. Yes and go around all the restaurants and serve them with all their milk and their cream and their yoghurts, their juice, their oh, waters, so, all sorts. OK, OK, so you're a milkman? I am. Yeah, OK, well, that's, that's good. Um, but, but, but you are a pleb, Stephen. I'm a pleb. We are plebs. We are not welcome in their, in their elite club, in their posh club. Apart from, look, they've got you as a pleb serving milk to the lords and ladies. Yeah, but I had fun doing it as well, so that was all right. Hey, listen, I've just, we just, I've just been given the, the the tennis theme. Do you know what the theme is to tennis? Yeah, I, I can't think it just like you. Go on, hang on, sing it to me. Well, I'm, every time I go to sing it, it comes out dun 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 dun, dun, dun and that's cricket, isn't it? Is it? Uh, isn't it? No, I don't know if you say. So. I've just remembered it. There we go. There we go. Come on, Stephen. Sing tennis. Tennis. It's for tops. It's for lords. We're not welcome cars. We're common. It is just for tops. You see? Just yeah. even the lyrics to the theme tune tell us we're not welcome in their elite club, Stephen. It's, it's a it's an unbelievable place. I know before I went there to work for the two weeks. I mean, I've heard of Wimbledon. Anything that's okay. You go in there and it is giant, massive, huge. It is huge. I, I went there years ago, and they they, they they cram so many tiny little courts into that into yeah. that space, don't they? They do. They've banned people as well from camping outside. Have Yeah, they've banned, but there was a thing that they banned people from camping outside. Health and safety. Oh, health and what? safety, you can't camp outside Wimbledon. <laughs> oh, stupid. People have done it for years and years and years. Yes, I know. But Stephen, lovely to talk to you. Stephen Sharbert there, who, uh, he, he's, he's bought into the myth that tennis is not just for toffs. Of course it is. Even the lyrics to the tennis theme tune tell us it is. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Now, uh, uh, Caravans, <clears throat> a Bedford councillor has caused a row with some of her neighbours over a mobile home parked on her driveway for over a year. Well, Wendy Ryder is currently off from her council duties, but a council spokesperson speaking on her behalf has said that the mobile home, which overhangs onto the pavement, doesn't belong to her. Well, does seeing a caravan on someone's driveway get right up your nose? Imagine you, you, you've got a nice house and then new people move in next door and they shove a caravan on the front lawn. Oh, dear. 
It's not good. It's not good enough, is it? Or we can speak to an authority on caravans. Nikki Nickel is from the Caravan Club. Good morning, Nikki Nickel. <laughs> good morning, Ian. Oh, we don't want caravans on driveways. They look awful, don't they? Oh, it's just because everybody gets so jealous of caravanners because they know they can go away and have a holiday every Friday. That's yeah, all it is. They, they go and have a holiday in a caravan. Fantastic. But the thing is, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the actual holiday aspect in a second, but... Mm-hmm. You would. You can't honestly say that people enjoy seeing their neighbours' caravans stuck on their driveways, blocking out light, getting dirty, propped up by bricks. They look filthy. They look common. It's awful, isn't it? You've painted a lovely but sadly very inaccurate picture. Correct, correct me, Nicky Nickel. <laughs> correct me. No, they're not propped up on bricks. And caravans, I mean, we love cleaning our caravans. That's one of our happiest pastimes. They're always lovely and gleaming. And yes, no, we don't keep them on bricks. Are you telling me, Nicky Nickel? I do like <laughs> saying your name. Sorry, Lou. <laughs> I you? do, Nicky Nickel. <laughs> are you telling me, Nicky Nickel, that, that there are people out there who who don't, who always clean their caravans? And that, 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 that some people. Do, I've seen filthy caravans on driveways that haven't been touched in years. Oh, it's a generalisation, but on the whole, they are kept very sparkly and shiny it's just like some people you see with a, a shiny van and and some of them they're they're not so shiny the 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 reason we're talking about this is there is a story in one of the local papers that, yeah. that a councillor possibly has um a caravan that's jutting out into the pavement now if that's true that's inappropriate isn't it is it a mobile home or is it a touring caravan is there a difference oh there's a huge difference wow what, what's yeah. the difference well, a mobile home, a static, right. um, yes, yeah, some people sometimes use them in the grounds if they're having work done on their home or extensions built. Touring caravans, which is what the caravan club's all about, it's the ones yeah. that you hitch up to your car and tow away and go and explore the country. The thing I don't get about those uh, caravans, Nicky Nicole, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, name, <laughs> do, you, do you realise that your name is fun to say? <laughs> do you say it yourself? Um, I do, actually, and I think I, I did very well by choosing um, a lovely man with the surname of Nichols so that I could be Nicky Nichol, yeah. It took you years to find him, but boy, you did, and well done you. But Nicky Nichol, you, you, what is the point of towing a caravan? Because if you want, the, you know, the, to, to be completely uncomfortable, there are caravan parks where they have caravans already. You don't need to endanger people on the motorway, do you? Oh, Ian, when was the last time you were in a caravan? Um, I can tell you exactly when it was. Uh, it would have been 1982. Ah, yes, that was a little while ago now, and things have moved on. They are so luxurious. I mean, the the shower in our caravan is actually more powerful than the one that we've got at home. Showers in caravans? When did this happen? And electricity and everything. I mean, who would believe it? They're so comfortable and luxurious these days. So I would urge you to go and have a look at the (laughs) modern caravan. How many times have you um, nipped out of your caravan to have a wee, possibly using a she-wee, and you've bashed your shins on the tow bar? (laughs) Never, because I use the on-board facilities. There's a toilet on a caravan now. You really need to come and have a look at a new caravan here. This is inc- this is insane. I genuinely, I'm I'm staggered they by all of this. Everything, fixed beds, um, full size fridge freezers, huh? four ring cookers, ovens. People go away at Christmas and cook their turkeys in them. Lovely bathroom. Oh, all no. the facilities. If you haven't been people- in there, but like. 300 years you need to go and see a modern one i feel so sorry for the sad people that go and have christmas dinner in a caravan it's fantastic it's a very very sociable time nicky nickel who changes the, and empties the toilet on your caravan it's me yeah you go you see now there's no glamour there is there <laughs> but it, 
you know, it has to be done. Well, exactly. <laughs> ha- Whereas if I go and stay, even if I go and stay in a, in a three-star ha- three hotel, which is the minimum I would stay in, <laughs> I don't need to empty the toilets. It does it itself. I know, but also, you're stuck there. You can't change. If the, if the weather's not good, you can't just hitch up your three-star accommodation and tow it somewhere else with a caravan. You can go and explore. You can stay in places that you could not stay anywhere yeah, else caravan unless parks. you had a caravan. Caravan like, parks. In Longleat, you can go to sleep, <laughs> yes, at the caravan site, <laughs> at Longleat, and go to sleep hearing the lions roar. Now, you couldn't <laughs> do that in a hotel, could you, Ian? Well, you, well possibly not, with, with good reason. <laughs> so, Nikki Nicola, I'm guessing you disagree with me today when I say that we should ban caravans. Yes. Well, so far you want to ban caravans and Wimbledon. What else is on your hit list? Oh, don't worry. There's a, I've got a long list. I'm a very grumpy man. Nicky Nickel, you've been a good sport. Thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks, Nice you. to talk to you. It's Nicky Nickel from the Caravan Club. Well, I want to hear from you, dear listener. Can you try and sell caravans? Wasn't she nice? Can you try and sell caravans to me? Not literally. I'm not, not, not in the market for buying one. But do, do you use one? I am surprised. Six beds... That was the fun, wasn't it, in the 80s, of going on a caravan, is finding where the bed... Well, it said there's four beds in here. Where's the bed? Oh, I think there's one under the dining table. 08459 455 555. Isn't it time we banned caravans? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. For the moment, things on the roads are still looking rather good. We've got one little bit of disruption. This will be affecting you if you're heading off toward Oxford this morning. The A418 in Wheatley is a lane blocked off because of a shed load. It's a large cable drum that's come off the back of a lorry on the roundabout where the A418 meets the M40 at Junction 8A, which is the Oxford turning. So if you're heading off that way this morning, you could encounter some disruption. Traffic can just about get past the scene, but it's looking slow already. Across the three counties, though, we haven't had any problems reported, apart from the trains. Disruption for First Capital Connect services, Kings Cross to Cambridge and to Peterborough because of overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City. Some of the northbound lines have been blocked off. A replacement bus is running between Stevenage and Letchworth Garden City and a reduced timetable runs for other services. East Coast affected as well from Kings Cross to and from Peterborough with delays of around 20 minutes. And into London, the Jubilee Line tube has been suspended between Stanmore and Wembley Park because of a derailment at Stanmore. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, here's the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 6.30. The headlines, the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence say they're shocked by claims that undercover police were told to find ways to smear them. The Luton woman whose petition against care cuts achieved 45,000 signatures will hand it into Downing Street later. And the Treasury will announce plans this week to invest in major infrastructure projects after reaching agreement with all government departments on cutting spending by £11.5 billion. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Start with cricket. Australian coach Mickey Arthur has been sensationally sacked on the eve of the Ashes series with England. The South African was dismissed after a meeting with Cricket Australia Chief Executive James Sutherland in Bristol. Meanwhile, England threw away the chance to win their first ever 50 over international title as they suffered a five run defeat to India in the final of the Champions Trophy at Edgbaston. Wimbledon gets underway today with British number one Andy Murray saying he's better equipped to handle the pressure. Murray missed out in last year's final to Roger Federer but recovered in winning a 
Olympic gold a month later, then collected his first Grand Slam in winning the US Open. And the Scot is aiming to get one better at the SW19, 12 months on from last year's heartbreak. I come in wanting to try and to try and win the event, and I've prepared as best as I could. You know, this this tournament obviously means means a lot to me, and that was pretty obvious after the final last year. And I, I just think because of what's happened since then that you know if I can manage to get myself into the latter stages of the tournament that you know I'd be better equipped to to deal with the the pressures that that go with that. Locally, Tara Moore is in the women's event. The wild cards from Potter's Bar and trains in Hatfield. She'll play Kaya Kanepi. And Dave Rice will play in the doubles event. He's also a wild card and based at Gosling Tennis Centre in Wellin. The British and Irish Lions have been hit by yet more injury news. Lock Paul O'Connell's out of the tour with a fracture of the lower right arm. The Irishman was injured in Saturday's first test victory over Australia in Brisbane. And that's the latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at seven o'clock. She's a part-time lady <laughs> She comes in when she wants to Hey, I fancy taking three days off So that's exactly what I'm gonna do I'm Catherine Boyle Part-time lady She's a part-time Let you interrupt anytime you want She's a part-time le- You're not gonna interrupt, are you? No, you can finish the chorus, repeat to fate Across beds, hearts and bucks This is Ian Lee BBC Three Counties Radio part-timer he takes two weeks off you forget all studio etiquette Paul Scorings when the red light is on Shepherd's Delight red light off let's have a fight uh, this is Ian Lee <laughs> BBC <laughs> Three Counties I'm getting a rabbit today that's why I'm so excited you're getting a rabbit yes Ollie the cleaner's bringing me her rabbit <laughs> steady I'll play the song
is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call. We're talking uh, immigration, we're talking caravans, we're talking tennis, we're also talking uh, spending reviews. Now, you're likely to hear lots of talk this week about the spending review. On Wednesday, the uh, Chancellor will set out his plans for where your taxes will go in the next year. He's expected to force councils to make even more savings. Well, BBC's Three Counties political reporter Paul Scoynes has been looking into this. Paul, how, how important is this? Well, this is it's fairly important. Basically, the, the uh, spending review has come about because the government is spending more than it planned to in the original stages of this budget, and uh, it needs to sort of make up the shortfall, if you like. Uh, it's said that, you know, spe- that the amount that the government is spending on public services has risen, uh, and therefore, as a result, it's got to make some uh, savings from each department. And it's taken a long time, but now all of the departments have finally agreed with the Chancellor how much they are prepared to make reductions to their current budget. So we will get a, a formal allow- announcement of that on uh, on Wednesday, although we already know in a lot of uh, cases what department is going to have to cut what. Well, which, which departments are, are, are making the biggest cuts? Uh, well, making the biggest cuts, one of them is going to be uh, the uh, Department for Local Government, the uh, DCLG. They've got to make around £20 billion pounds worth of, uh, of, of... That's going to be their budget, which is a reduction of around 7%. Mm. Uh, the d- community side of that is going to have to make reductions of 13% as well. The um, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, that's going down by 16%, as is the Culture of Media and Sport, that's by 10%, sorry. Um, and at the weekend, we uh, heard that the final department which was um the uh, department of defense uh, was going to uh, make some savings as well though we don't know quite what they are at the moment or at least i haven't i'm afraid seen them this morning it was only announced yesterday on the andrew marsh show that um the the chancellor and uh, philip hammond who's the defense secretary had come to an arrangement uh, about what reductions the defense is going to have to make what do councils think about these cuts well they're not very happy um, and and a number of councils, around 147 of which there's a, a few from our area, have uh, signed a letter to the uh, Chancellor asking them asking him not to make further reductions to the amount of money that councils get given from government. They get a central grant, and uh, we understand that that is going to be down by around 33%. So which is you, a significant amount. Yeah, I mean, there, there have already been significant reductions to councils' services, and we will expect to see more in the years to come. So we've, we've already... These these are cuts on top of cuts, and people are noticing the, the initial cuts in terms of uh, potholes being fixed, mm. uh, lights being switched off, all kinds of services. This is, these are, this is going to be even more dramatic, isn't it? Yes, and, and if you think about those parts of the council spend, they're, they're quite small mm. in comparison to what, uh, what councils 
the bulk of council work which we probably don't see most of us day to day it's the adult and children's services the uh, the very expensive services which um, which councils have to provide uh, a lot of the money that they get is for schools that sort of gets portioned out straight away councils you know give the money to schools and that gets that gets dealt with the the roads the sort of the the bin collections, the street lighting, the stuff that perhaps you and I as, as council taxpayers see on a day-to-day basis, that actually accounts only for about 5% of the entire mm. council budget. So um, quite a, a lot of, uh, of areas are going to have to be making more savings. But at the same time, you know, they will be looking to do things in different ways. We have seen, of course, last week that Bedford Borough Council reduced its, uh, its, its senior management team uh, and that's going to make savings of £4 million a year uh, and they've got to make reductions of their budget for a, uh, up to around 17 million in the next five years so so councils are already having to do those sorts of things so it's it's been bumpy for you to listen i think it's going to get a lot bumpier uh, the, ch- the chancellor always tries to sweeten the pillars a little bit doesn't he spoonful mm. of sugar and all of that it, it, do we have any hints of some goodies he might announce to distract us not uh, we, I, this is i mean very much a spending review this isn't a, 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 a this is really a, a, a review about saving rather than making lots of uh, of, of nice little presence for councils and for local uh, regions we do however think that there is going to be um, a, an announcement perhaps about uh, a road not in uh, Bedfordshire or Hertfordshire although Hertfordshire is certainly paying some money towards this road which is the A14 mm. which is in Cambridgeshire and that goes between um, Cambridge and Huntingdon and that does have a senior a, a pretty significant effect on this region in terms of you know transport to and from makes it an attractive area to to bring business to um, I have been asking a lot of the councils for their shopping list and what they'd like and things like a bridge over uh, a new bridge over uh, the, the river in Bedford the East West rail uh, sort of link is being talked about through lots of our councils because that would run through Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire and, and would take uh, the train all the way up to Norwich mm. if you wanted to go there so um, th- there's a few little tidbits that people want I don't know as the Chancellor will make too many announcements but I would say there would be one or two road announcements that may get made the A14 <laughs> being one of them Scoins, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. It's, you think it's tough now, kids. It's going to get tougher. It's going to get much tougher. We'll be talking about this over the next few weeks and months, no doubt. Here's a Beatles song you never hear on the radio. It's about a dog. Martha, my dear, though I spend my days in conversation, please remember me. Chief. 
that song from the White Album. It's about his sheepdog. Hey, listen, you may think that this talk about uh, spending reviews and cuts and things could be a little bit dry. I, I, I genuinely find this fascinating because if you haven't noticed the cuts in local government now, boy, oh boy, you will do over the next six, 12 months. Oh, you're going to notice them. 08459 four double five five double five. It's tennis just for toffs. A few texts here. Um, uh, no, this is an email, I think. Oh, no, hang on. We'll, we'll do that in a second. Let me have a quick look at that and we'll do it in a second. 08459 four double five five double five. Uh, let's, uh, it's coming up to 6.45. You can text me as well if you want. 81333. Start your text. 3CR. Let's get the latest travel news. Oh, no. Hang on a minute. Kelly Betts, could, I've messed around with the beds. Could you do that while I fill for a second, please? Yes, thank you very much indeed. There we go, you see. This is me filling by telling you I'm filling. Smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're heading across to the M11, it's been blocked. Delays, Junction 8, Bishop Stortford to 9 at Saffron Walden. Just after 6am, a car heading south collided with the central reservation about a mile south of Junction 9, but traffic is being held both ways in order to recover that safely. On the M25, anti-clockwise, you've got slow-moving traffic from Waltham Abbey at Junction 26 into the roadworks past Junction 25 near to Chesant. And then as you continue round, it's slow from the M1 to Kings Langley and from Maple Cross to the M40, and delays into London through Boreham Wood on the A1 as you come southbound from Stirling Corner down toward Apex Corner. And we've still got problems if you're heading across toward Oxford this morning. The A418 is looking slow. It's partially blocked by a shed load of steel cable that's come off the back of a lorry around Junction 8A of the M40. It's on the roundabout where the A418 and the M40 meet. On the trains, East Coast have resumed a normal service. Kings Cross to and from Peterborough after the overrunning works at Welling Garden City. There's still disruption for First Capital Connect, though. Kings Cross to and from Cambridge and Peterborough. And they are unfortunately still affected. Some of the northbound lines are blocked off. They're running a replacement bus service between Stevenage and Letchworth Garden City and a reduced timetable on their other services. Into London then, Jubilee Line Tube, normal service running against Stanmore to Wembley Park after a derailment earlier this morning. Minor delays though for the northern line, Golders Green to Edgware because of signal failure at Hendon Central. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, 6.47, it's Monday the 24th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of the murdered teenager, Stephen Lawrence, say they're shocked by claims that undercover police were told to find ways to smear them. A disabled campaigner from Luton will hand in her 45,000 signature petition against care cuts at Downing Street later today. In sport, Australian coach Mickey Arthur has been sensationally sacked on the Eve of the Ashes series with England. Coming up, Wimbledon. Boy, two weeks of television. Come on, tennis is just for toffs, isn't it? Here's the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, we're waking up to a bit of a calmer start to the new working week. Yes, there's a lot of cloud around, but to be honest, it's just feeling that little bit quieter. There's less wind. It's gradually going to ease through the day as well, despite the little bit of breeze we've got at the moment. Quite a lot of cloud, but we're already starting to see some breaks in that. Over towards Aylesbury, for example, we're getting some thinner areas of cloud and even the sun breaking through, and that's really the story of the day. Now, we could see one or two many isolated showers uh, later on this afternoon, but they should be light. They shouldn't last for too long. It's just 
generally going to feel a little bit nicer and noticeably warmer than it did at the weekend. 19 Celsius, that's 66 degrees in Fahrenheit. Now, overnight, eventually, we'll start to see any cloud remaining melt away and we should actually get some really nice sunshine throughout the uh, latter part of the evening uh, to end the day. And overnight, it stays that way. It's a clear night, so temperature's dropping right down 6 or 7 degrees. Uh, That's the uh, Celsius for the minimum temperature overnight tonight. So a sunny start to tomorrow, but then the cloud will build. And it's a similar day, really. One or two scattered showers, again, light, and they shouldn't last for too long. And it's going to feel that little bit warmer. Maximum tomorrow, 20 Celsius. And that's really the story of the week. The temperature's gradually starting to recover and return to average for the time of year. Thank you very much, Kate. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni. The bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter with the best local news stories. At the moment, Christmas in Luton is at risk. We'll do our best. We'll work with the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. The best local travel. Multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound just as you come from the M25. It's going to get busy. Three cars involved with the best local talking points. Because I was born female, that was my first sin, if you like, and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni, weekdays from three, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Tennis is just for toffs. Even Andy Murray's mum, Judy Murray, thinks it's elitist. What are we doing celebrating two weeks of this rubbish on our television? What channel is Neighbours on? Oh, it's Channel 5 now, sorry, sorry. It's the midnight moon was drifting through
BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. Well, as we prepare to settle into two weeks of tennis, Andy Murray's mum, Judy, says she's worried that the game still hasn't moved away from being middle class and elitist. She wants the game's governing body to introduce more free courts. And there are some free courts scattered around the three counties. There are... A lot of them, well, some of them you, you kind of have to book and you pay a little bit. Some of them you can sort of turn up at and hope that no one notices. A lot of them aren't in a great state. That's the problem. Those ones in the parks, they're not in a great state, are they? Is tennis just for toffs? 08459 455 555. Well, my next guest knows tennis from the inside. Matt Wilcox is from Hertfordshire. He's the director of tennis at the International Performance Centre at Gosling in Welland Garden City. He joins me now. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Ian. Matt, one of your players, Dave Rice, is playing in the men's doubles. Uh, how's his preparation been going? Uh, he's had fantastic preparation. On the singles court, he's won 15 of his last, last 18 matches, and so far this year, he's won four titles in doubles. So, uh, yeah, really excited going into, into the next two weeks. Wh- when's his first um, game at Wimbledon? The schedule comes out each evening, but we anticipate he's going to start tomorrow. OK, you think he's going to start tomorrow. And how, how is he feeling? Because Wimbledon is uh, obviously one of the biggest te- tennis tournaments in the world. I imagine that puts a lot of pressure on a young tennis player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think sort of through the career, I think it, it goes in, in stages. So I think the first thing, a couple of years ago, they played their first Wimbledon and doubles, and that was exciting. And, and this year, the goal, yes, they're there, and now it's to, to go as far as they can in the draw. So it's been interesting working with Dave over the last 10 days and just sort of seeing the smile grow as, the, uh, as we go to Wimbledon each day and, and the number of people and the buzz sort of grows each day as well. So it's hugely excited, I think. I don't know if you saw in, uh, I think it was the uh, Observer yesterday, Judy Murray, Andy's Murray, uh, Andy Murray's mum saying that tennis is still elitist. Do you agree with that? I think one of the biggest challenges, it is an expensive sport to play, and I think one of the challenges we've, we're trying to meet head-on at Gosling is to make it as accessible as possible for people however much they want to play, whether they want to play once a week or whether they want to commit themselves fully to doing everything in their power to make it, uh, you know, to become the best they can be. And we certainly feel we're, we're meeting that challenge. Sport England is withholding over £10 million from the Lawn Tennis Association as they say they aren't doing enough to make the sport inclusive. What what can be done, Matt, to, to make it more open to everyone and not just those that have got money? Yeah, I think, it, I think there's couple of things i think one's about accessibility and i think the accessibility is in two things one is is throwing you sort of gosling uh, we're trying to throw our arms wide open and be as welcoming as possible um so simple things like we used to have barriers at the club and we'll be moving that as in physical barriers for making it members only and we're removing those mm. and i think the other one is actually there's a fantastic sport which is mini red which is played on a smaller court with a softer ball which means that people can enjoy the thrill of tennis much much earlier and it's much much easier to play so i think those two things as well as the cost i think will go a long way to making it more accessible well it sounds great that you're doing those things at gosling because some tennis clubs do they are a little bit sniffy and snobby aren't they well i, I think you know I, i'm not commenting on others no. for, for us what we're trying to do is make it as welcoming as possible and we certainly found those things are are making it that people who, who do come and are aware that they can come to gosling and play are finding that and really enjoying it and are, are the numbers that we've got playing every week are rocketing Matt, I appreciate your time, uh, and best of luck, of course, uh, to Dave. Uh, that's Mill, uh, uh, sorry, Matt Wilcox, who's the Director of Tennis at the International Performance Centre at Gosling in Welling Garden City, and he's been working with Dave Rice, who's playing in the men's doubles, probably starting tomorrow. Well, what do you think? Sounds like that they're doing good work there at Gosling to, to make it less elitist. Is tennis just for toffs? The thing about football, you can play anywhere with any kind of ball. 
Football, tennis ball, you can even roll up a bit of, you know, a bit of newspaper if you're stuck and give that a kick around. Tennis, oh, you need the tennis racket. Uh, you kind of, you can't really just play it anywhere. You need to, to play it somewhere big enough. It's, it, it's a tough game to pick up anyway. And a lot of these tennis clubs, not Gosling, but a lot of these tennis clubs, they're very pricey. You can't just turn up and say, all right, can we, uh, can we have a go on one of your tennis courts? I'm afraid, no, I'm you know, really sorry. Members only. Membership's going to be £500 for the year per person. And... Come on, for goodness sakes, how are you going to encourage... No wonder we're rubbish at tennis in this country. If that's what you do, if that's how you encourage people to to play, by charging them huge fees. Are you a fan of tennis? Are you looking forward to the next two weeks of tennis? Or do you agree with me? Tennis is just for toffs. 08459 455 555. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M11 is currently blocked both ways between Bishop Stortford and Saffron Walden. Traffic absolutely stationary. This is after an accident at six this morning where a car hit the central reservation on the southbound side. So they've held traffic in both directions so it can be safely recovered. Anti-clockwise, the M25 slow into the roadworks from Waltham Abbey to Enfield, junction 26 to 25. Then the M1 to Kings Langley looks busy and Maple Cross to the M40 looking slow as well. If you're driving into London, Borehamwood along the A1 southbound. There are queues between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. If you're heading off toward Oxford, weekly and the A418 is partially blocked. There's a lane blocked on the exit slip to the Oxford services as well. This is a shed load of steel cable off a lorry on the roundabout at the M40's Junction 8A. So if you're leaving the M40 there or coming along the A418, possibly down from Aylesbury, you could encounter problems. On the train's first capital connect disrupted King's Cross to Cambridge and to Peterborough. It's overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City. Northbound line, some of them are blocked. A replacement bus service runs Stevenage to Letchworth Garden City. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. I'm in ranty mood today. Tennis is just for toffs. And caravans, oh, for goodness sakes, can't we make them illegal? On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, Lauren's family shocked by police smear claims. Luton campaigner heads for Downing Street and government accused of housing failures. BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police try to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. Peter Francis, a former undercover officer, says he looked unsuccessfully for information that would discredit Stephen's family. An investigation into the activities of undercover police is already in progress. Tom Simons has the latest. Peter Peter Francis claims to have gone undercover as a campaigner within the group Youth Against Racism in Europe, which rallied around the Lawrence family and their fight to find Stephen's killers. He says there was pressure from his superiors for material to undermine the Lawrences, including whether they were involved in demonstrations or dealing drugs. He found nothing, he says, except tittle-tattle. Stephen's mother, Doreen, says she's shocked and angry at the claims. The Metropolitan Police has not confirmed or denied the account given by Peter Francis. President Zuma of South Africa has called on people around the world to pray for Nelson Mandela, who's now critically ill in hospital. Mr Mandela, who's 94, has been treated in hospital in Pretoria for a lung infection for the past 16 days, but his condition deteriorated yesterday. 
The Treasury will announce plans this week to invest in major infrastructure projects after reaching agreement with all government departments on cutting spending by £11.5 billion. The Business Secretary, Vince Cable, was the last minister to settle his budget. Our political correspondent, Ian Watson, reports. Every government department has now reached an agreement with the Treasury on their budgets for 2015-16, the year of the general election. The deal with Vince Cable was signed off only last night following a phone call earlier in the day with his fellow Liberal Democrat Danny Alexander, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury. On Wednesday, the Chancellor will outline where the axe will fall most heavily and which departments will escape relatively unscathed. But then on Thursday, Danny Alexander will spell out how some of the savings will be reinvested in infrastructure projects such as new housing, road and rail improvements and faster broadband. A Luton woman will hand in a petition with 45,000 signatures to Downing Street later. 29-year-old psychology graduate Angela Murray has been disabled since childhood. She's campaigning against cuts in social care, which she says limit the freedom of people in her position and have left her living the life of a pensioner. A verdict expected today in the trial of Italy's former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, who's denied paying for sex with an underage prostitute known as Ruby the Heart Stealer. He also denies abusing his office to help her avoid prosecution for theft. In sports news, just two weeks ahead of the Ashes Australian coach... Um, uh, uh, sorry... Two weeks ahead of the, uh, the Ashes, Australian coach Mickey Arthur has been sensationally sacked. The South African was appointed in 2011, but was dismissed after a meeting with Cricket Australia Chief Executive James Sutherland in Bristol yesterday. The weather, sunshine and showers with a top temperature of 19 degrees Celsius, that's 66 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm getting a rabbit today. I hope so. Anyway, I've told my boy we're getting one. Ollie the Cleaner's bringing it in. They're good pets, aren't they? They clean themselves and don't bite children. Is that right? <laughs> I hate I hate rabbits. But no, no, but my wife has been banging on for ages. Oh, we should get a rabbit for the kids. No, we've got a cat. We should get a rabbit for the kids. So last week I said, oh. Ollie the cleaner is, is, is giving away a rabbit. Should we take it for the kids? But suddenly my wife has turned... She's manipulated me into getting a rabbit, paying over £100 for a hutch. And I'm in charge of cleaning it and looking after it. How did that... I don't even want it. Any rabbit tips this morning would be greatly welcome. Apart from that, more serious stuff as well we're discussing, including new research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government uh, stopped... Uh, so Sorry, since the government introduced its migration cap. Well, is the UK welcoming to foreigners? Also today, Andy Murray's mum has said she's worried that tennis still middle-class and elitist. Well, is it? Wimbledon starts today, two weeks of tedium. Is tennis... For toffs. And do you own a caravan? Or, like me, do you find them incredibly annoying? A Bedford councillor has caused a row with some of her neighbours over a mobile home parked on her driveway for over a year. Well, the simple solution, isn't it time we banned people from owning caravans? If you've got one, there's something wrong with you. Go and stay in a hotel, for goodness sakes. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or 
Give me a phone call, please. 08459 555 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, I'm asking today, is the UK welcoming to foreigners? New research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government introduced its migration cap. More than 10% of the students at the University of Bedfordshire are international. Well, Justin Dealey has been out and about finding what you think. Justin, where have you been this morning? I've been loose and talking to foreign workers. Now, the people I've been talking to, Ian, say, yes, the UK is a a very welcoming place to be. Um, They're thoroughly enjoying their life here in the UK. Here's a couple of people I've been talking to this morning, starting with Sammy. He's from Algeria and has been living in the UK since 2000. Uh, living in the UK has been brilliant because I was lucky. Uh, I did my studies in Oxford. Yeah, I mean, people have uh, very welcoming. Lots of families, like, they take in like, foreign students like, as a host family you know, in order to learn English. In my opinion, it is different from town to, to another. Most people, um, they are very welcoming. I would say high percentage they are very welcoming you know what i, what I like about uk they have strict rules about racism there is um you know compared to other countries you know the law takes serious action about uh, any racist comment um and that's brilliant it's good to see people they live together respecting each other respecting each other's cultures and and all that so that, that's very good that's very good you know i, I believe other countries should um take the example of the UK, you know, what we see, um, I don't want to mention other countries, but, you know, you hear a lot about incidents and it's amazing to see people living together, you know, talking, you know, different religions, different cultures, and, you know, they all live together, you know, sometimes it's the same street, neighbourhood, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really good, it's an it's experience to learn from, so... So you're from Morocco. You've lived in the UK for yeah. two years. You're working in Luton. Do you find the UK welcoming? It is welcoming, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes, like, the first time I came to England, I had some problems in the airport. didn't understand that my wife was, was living in England. I don't know why, because my papers were was fine and everything was fine. So they were asking me questions. How did you meet your wife, this uh, this woman, how did you do that? How did you do that? Something was so personal, and they asked. So, apart from that paperwork issue, you've been here for two years, thoroughly enjoying life in the yeah. UK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, some uh, happy customers, it would seem, Justin. Absolutely. I think you know, as you look at us as a nation, we're a very uh, cosmopolitan nation. The UK. A lot of people knock the UK, but quite simply, I think deep down we all know we are one of the best places to be anywhere on this planet. You speak to anybody coming to the, US, the this country to work, and the majority of people I've spoken to today, and of course not just today, but in the past as well they all say it is a welcoming place to be and it's a great country it's a great place to live justin thank you very much indeed that's our reporter justin Dealey. to discuss more i'm joined by alt minute who is vice chair of migration watch the non-political body which is concerned about the present scale of immigration into the uk uh, good morning Al. do you think the uk is welcoming enough to foreigners well <laughs> good morning to you what can i say your two interviewees said it all for me just now of course we're welcoming. I'm, I'm a foreigner myself. I came here from, from Cyprus um, 56 years ago, it has to be said. But I, I think that we are extremely welcoming, and long may that continue. I know there are a lot of people who are not always uh, um, happy with the government's immigration policy, 
and, and they say that there is a danger of uh, sounding and appearing unwelcoming to um, overseas students, to, to visitors. Your two interviewees there um, very clearly stated that that is not the case. So what I would like to, the message I'd like to send is, stop telling people that we're unwelcoming, otherwise they're going to start believing it. There might be some people listening up who think perhaps we're too welcoming. Um, I don't know about too, you can never be too welcoming, but I think what we have done is um, had a policy which has meant that too much and too quickly has happened. The scale of, of migration over the last 15 years um, was such that we had net migration into the country of getting on for a quarter of a million. That was clearly untenable, it was unsustainable and didn't make sense and not in the interests of those who come here, frankly. And that's what we would like to see, is the scale of migration to come down so that you get as close as possible to the number of people arriving um, similar to the number of people leaving, maybe forty or 50,000 in addition, rather than the quarter of a million we were having it uh, not so long ago. Have I got this right? It's 20,000 uh, places that the country offers to non-EU people to come over here and work. What do you think about that figure? Well, it's 20,700 right. skilled workers. That's nothing to do with students. There are no limits on students. There's no limits for anyone. It's simply the fact that um, look, we've got 20% of our um, student graduates who are unemployed. Now, to suggest that there is a shortage of skills, and albeit there are shortages in some areas, but not to the extent that we need to import just about every skill that um, you, can, you can think of. On that limit of 20,700, only about half half the visas available have ever been taken up. So we can't be that short of skills. What about the students that are coming here? Do you think that... The, do you welcome the fact they can come here to study? Of course. Of course I welcome the fact that they come here to study. So long as students come here, study, uh, complete their studies, uh, return to their countries of, of origin and put to good use what they have learned here, become good ambassadors for this country, of course I welcome that. But what was happening uh, at one time was that studies were being used as a device for people mm. who had no intention of coming here to study. Well, lots, of sha- lots of sham courses, weren't there, just to, get, to, to allow people to come into the country? Sorry, say that again? There were lots of sham courses, weren't there, that was, that was just an excuse to allow people to come into the country? Sham courses, bogus colleges, uh, the, the, the governments either closed down or they closed down themselves something like a thousand colleges over the last uh, couple of years that frankly were not the sort of colleges that we should be encouraging anyone to go to, let alone overseas students who are paying through the nose for it. I think that there's, there's a wonderful education. I spent most of my career overseas encouraging people, giving scholarships to people to come to this country to study. But what we shouldn't do is say, right, uh, there's, there's a way of making money here. Let's see how we can make the biggest um, amount of money possible by um, using colleges uh, to suggest that we're going to provide an education that we're not, simply to get the money of, of young. And, and quite often, very poor people 
who think that by coming here to study, they're going to uh, improve their chances in life. In fact, they end up here, bogus colleges, never get an education, end up staying here illegally, a lot of them. There was a story on the front page of one of the papers yesterday, Alp, uh, about the possibility of introducing a bond where people from specific areas, and it was Africa and Pakistan, I think, would pay £3,000 upon entry uh, into the country, and they would get that back once their visa expired and once they left. Does that sound like a sensible idea? Uh, I'm not sure that it does. I've gone along with most of... Uh, the measures that the government has introduced since 2010. This is one that, when I was an immigration officer in the 70s, was, it's an idea that was being knocked about. The practicalities are, it's not so easy, A, to uh, get the, the bond in the first place, but then to enforce whatever rules um, you, you impose if people don't leave, that's easier said than done. Uh, easier said than done. I, I remain to be convinced that it's going to work, but if the government wants to try it, why not? Alp, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. Alp Minute, who is uh, Vice Chair of Migration Watch. What do you think? Are we welcoming enough to foreigners? I, bet, I know for a fact there are some of you listening who think we are too welcoming to foreigners. We did invite the uh, Immigration Minister, Mark Harper, to join us on the programme, but he said no. Instead, we were provided with a statement from the Home Office, uh, which says there is no limit on the number of genuine students who can come here, students specifically. The latest figures show the number of international students applying for visas to attend UK universities has increased by 5%, demonstrating how our changes have actually favoured universities. We've overhauled the student visa regime to tackle abuse whilst protecting the university sector, and there is nothing in our policy that is preventing talented students from studying in the UK. If you want to have your say on that, 08459 455555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M11 is still blocked both ways after an accident earlier where a lorry and a car collided near to Bishop Stortford. So between Bishop Stortford and Saffron Walden Junction 8 and 9, the motorway is closed off in both directions while the recovery work continues. Southbound M1 delays from Junction 11 at the A505 toward 9 at Redbourne, taking around 20 minutes to get through. On the M25 anti-clockwise, it is slow into the roadwork section, Waltham Abbey toward the A10 at Junction 25. Then from the M1 to Kings Langley and Maple Cross to the M40, you have further queues. Into London, the A1, Boreham Wood on the southbound side from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus is looking slow. And for anyone off toward Oxford, the A418 at Wheatley. There's a lane closed for a shed load. It's steel cable that came off a lorry. They're recovering it now. It's on the roundabout where the A418 meets the M40 at Junction 8A. First Capital Connect disrupted. King's Cross through to Cambridge and Peterborough. This is because of overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City. Some of the northbound lines still blocked. A replacement bus service runs Stevenage to Letchworth Garden City and a reduced timetable in operation for other services. While the northern line tube is back to normal after problems earlier at Hendon Central. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Speak to you in 15 minutes. Right, it's 7.16, it's Monday the 24th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. A Luton woman who says cuts in social care are limiting the freedom of disabled people will hand in a petition of 45,000 signatures to Downing Street later. Sport, with the Ashes just two weeks away, Cricket Australia have sacked coach Mickey Arthur. Coming up, 
Wimbledon. B-b-b-b-boring. Is tennis just for toffs? 08459 455 555. The answer's yes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from 12, Nick Coffer brings you... Great guests. Julian Clary. Welcome to BBC Three Counties Radio. Legendary Genesis guitarist, Steve Hackett. Supertramp frontman, Roger Hodgson. Carol Decker of Tapau fame joins me now. Great conversations. China in Your Hand is about the fragility of your dreams and that you should be careful what you wish for. Something very addictive about making people laugh is standing on stage and every few seconds getting that hit of a, of a laugh. Nick Coffer. Weekdays from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two weeks of tennis coming up. Some of you, my mum, will be celebrating. She, there's nothing she likes more than being sat in front of the telly watching Wimbledon for two weeks. It, my childhoods were ruined by those two weeks of summer. Mum, I don't want to watch the telly. We're watching Wimbledon. Well, is, is tennis... A bit elitist. Is it just for toffs? Andy's Mur- Andy Murray's mum says she's worried the game hasn't moved away from being middle class and elitist. She wants the game's governing body to introduce more free courts. Well, Peter Delaney has been a tennis coach at Wolverton Tennis Club in Milton Keynes for the last two years. Tennis is just for toffs, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, not really. It's a bit of a perception that. Um... It costs a fortune to play it. Uh, not really, again. You have to research it. Well, well, correct me. Tell, well, tell me how much it costs to have a game of tennis in a tennis club. Um, in my tennis club, uh, it's £110 a year. That works out to about £2 a week. Right, OK. Still a lot of money where, where with football, you can just go and buy a ball or get a tennis ball or get a, whatever and just kick it around in the park. Of course you can, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. That's one of the uh, challenges we've got as, as tennis coaches. Um, but the LTA, certainly Milton Keynes, uh, have got a, a massive initiative to open up many courts of pay and play. And so, and so, so, so you, how much would that be to pay to, to hire a court? I think it's something like six pounds an hour, the average in Milton Keynes. See again, and now listen, six pounds not a lot to you and me. I can no. afford that, but to, to to a lot of people, that still feels like it could be a little bit expensive. What is the LTA doing in Milton Keynes? Because they have um, been under criticism from Sport England, haven't they? Who've withheld over ten million pounds from them. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing in Milton Keynes, is, as I say, they're, they're setting up an initiative to for clubs like my, ours, and we're, we're thinking of doing it, is to open up clubs for pay and play rather than right. just membership. And if you, I don't know how many, exactly how many clubs there are in Milton Keynes, but there's 12 plus, which covers a whole area of Milton Keynes, and which makes tennis more accessible to many more people. But so have, you haven't introduced that into your club yet? No, it's something, it's, it's an initiative that's been started this year. And uh, When are you going to do it? When? We're going to start, I think we're starting just after Wimbledon. OK. And so people could come in and say, because I've, listen, I've been to tennis clubs, I've looked around them, I've, 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 uh, I've lived, Peter. Right. Uh, and uh, more often than not, the courts are empty. You, you, you're spot on. I mean, nine till six every day, the courts are empty, yes. Mm. What, so apart from making it pay to play, what else can we do to, to, to change the perception that tennis is just for toffs? Well, possibly is, is to introduce it to children. I mean, what we do at Woolworths is we allow our courts to be used by the local schools free of charge during curriculum time. Perhaps that's something we need to do. We need to actually start at that age group, and then hopefully, as they do with football, it's something that they, they say, oh, I'd like to play tennis, and we've got a local tennis club. Uh, w- Wimbledon doesn't 
doesn't necessarily help, does it? I mean, kids can watch it on the TV, but ticket for the men's singles final, over t- it's nearly three grand. Um, I don't know where you get your tickets from, but uh, certainly not as what I pay for a Wimbledon final, that's for sure. How much are you paying, then? About £75, £80, from maybe 100 at the most, I think. Um, I, I, I prefer to watch the final at home, actually, than Wimbledon, but there you go. <laughs> Well, you, you can get tickets for nearly three grand, but they, they, they include uh, the champagne and canapes reception, yeah. an a la carte menu, full afternoon tea. It does all sound very elitist and very swanky, doesn't it? I would, I would guess that if you went to watch England at Wembley and you had one of the, the, uh, the boxes there, you'd probably be paying something similar, I would imagine. What would you say, Peter, about the quality of the free courts in Milton Keynes? Because a lot of these free courts in parks, they're pretty grotty, aren't they? Um, again... If they're club courts, which the majority are, they will be in good condition. Um, I don't know of many park courts in Milton Keynes. There's not many parks in Milton Keynes. Um, but most of the clubs will have good courts that, are being used, that can be used. If someone like Andy Murray's mum, Judy, is coming out and saying that tennis is elitist, I would imagine she knows her tennis, perhaps slightly more than I, better than I do. Um, she must have a point, mustn't she? There is a point to it, but again, as I say, it is a perception. It's not something that, um, as tennis players, we see it that way. I, I don't class myself as elitist at all, really. Um, and I would guess 99.9% of all club members wouldn't say they were elitist at all. Uh, Peter, I appreciate your time this morning. Peter Tulaney, uh, tennis coach at Wolverton Tennis Club in Milton Keynes. What do you think? Is tennis elitist? I, I have been to a few tennis clubs. Um, and they are very swanky. That uh, they can be a little bit snooty, and joining a tennis club, hundred and what? What is it? One hundred fifty quid a year, something like that. It's a lot of money, and then you got to buy the rackets, and then you got to get some decent trainers, uh, and pay to play six pounds an hour. I don't know. How does that sound to you? It, 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 is it? Is that sound feasible? Feasible? <laughs> I've got made a new word, and it's a good word. Feasonable. Right, right, we're having that. Get on to the uh, Oxford English Dictionary. Feasonable. We're having that. 08459 455 555. Nick says uh, on the text, Life is too short to watch two people knock a little ball over a net to each other. Same as golf. All that effort to put a ball in a hole. And football, well, that's so boring. I tell you what we're going to get. How long do you think it'll be before a story is done in one of the newspapers about the unsung heroes of tennis, the ball boys and ball girls. They're not unsung, they're sung every flipping year. We hear about these precocious little brats that, that scuttle around like rats, collecting balls and rolling them back to tennis players. I reckon by Thursday we'll have the first unsung heroes of tennis story. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of the murdered teenager, Stephen Lawrence, say they are shocked by claims that undercover police were told to find ways to smear them. A former member of a unit known as the Special Demonstration Squad says Scotland Yard wanted to discredit campaigners who'd criticised the police investigation into the killing. Peter Francis told Channel 4's dispatches and The Guardian that he was under pressure to provide intelligence. They wanted any intelligence that could have smeared the campaign. Yes, there is this general remit. So had I, through my circles, come up with something along the lines of they, the family were political activists, somebody in the family was involved in demonstrations 
drug dealers, anything. What they would have done with intelligence, I can't call it. He says he posed as an anti-racist campaigner, but was ultimately unsuccessful in finding any concrete information to use against the family. Stephen Lawrence was killed as he waited for a bus in 1993 in Eltham in south-east London. Stephen's mother, Doreen Lawrence, gave her reaction to the allegations. Quite shocked that, in a back in that time, during our time of grieving for our son, that there was some, somebody sitting somewhere calculating, infiltrating into our family. Out of all the things I've found out over the years, this certainly has topped it. A solicitor for Doreen Lawrence says he'll ask the Metropolitan Police to disclose who authorised an operation to smear her family. The Metropolitan Police says an investigation is underway and it's focused on getting to the truth. The barrister, Michael Mansfield, who's represented Stephen's parents, Doreen and Neville, accused Scotland Yard of using such tactics for a long time. What they were really concerned about wasn't Mr and Mrs Lawrence, it was the campaign surrounding it because they felt it was undermining public confidence in the police, just as they no doubt thought um, the campaign for nuclear disarmament and so on were doing exactly the same. But this is all part of the same, in my view, the same trust. It's been going on for years. It's completely unaccountable. Well, Labour says these are shocking and appalling allegations and it's important the full truth of what happened is revealed. I'm not surprised by anything about the police now. Hillsborough, Stephen Lawrence... Can we trust the police these days? I don't know. There's more and more things keep popping out. And you keep thinking, well, really? Anyway, back to Wimbledon, shall we? Uh, April's in Luton. Morning, April. Good morning. Now, April. Tennis, toffs, uh, Wimbledon, rubbish. Get rid of it. Yeah? Just get rid of it. It ruins June. There's only two good things worth it for June for me. Yeah. And that's strawberries mm. and my birthday. Whoa, hey, but my birthday's in June. Ah. Birthday, girlfriend, when's your birthday? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to say happy birthday because we, if I do it for you, I get so many texts and tweets saying, oh, it's my <laughs> mum's birthday. Can you say happy birthday? To-? No, no, never going to do it. No, I'm being told fine. it's Kelly Betts' birthday, mum's birthday today. I'm not saying happy birthday to her. I do it for one, April. I have to do it for all of you I losers. don't need you to wish me a happy birthday. I'm going to have champagne and strawberries. Whilst watching Wimbledon. It Without is, Wimbledon. It is, I just don't understand why the BBC, and listen, I take their money and I, I thank them for it, but why does the BBC think that everybody in the country wants to watch tennis all the time for those two weeks it's like bbc one men's tennis and do you notice do you notice the subtle segregation bbc one men's tennis bbc two is for women's tennis oh which means there's gonna be nothing decent on tv for two whole weeks why can't they just have some bike racing on there huh? and another thing right the thing about every year about wimbledon the women always say oh it's not fair right you blokes you get much more prize money than we do. Well, Did I tell you, you see their party at the beginning of the week no, on the news? No, I didn't. What was their party? They had they had a, a party to, and to um, promote the power of women oh, in God. tennis. Because it's not about the money. No. It's about the power that it gives women. Oh, the power. Well, listen, if you want to earn the same amount of money as blokes, play, play tennis games that are the same length. Yes. Because you, you play shorter. You don't play for as long. Oh! <laughs> 
That's women's tennis for you. That's yeah. it. Are you going to get Catherine to do that for you? Uh, I, I, I don't think, in light of uh, recent revelations about the BBC, I think if I were to ask Catherine Boyle to grunt for me, uh, in 40 <laughs> years' time, I could be facing some sort of uh, um, law court thing. So, no, I won't, April. But thank you very much. Do you want to give me a grunt, April? Uh, no. Okay, there we go. That's April in uh, Luton who refuses to grunt for me. If you're a woman and you want to grunt for me, tennis styly, tennis styly, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Give us a grunt, Adam. I'm in a studio with lots of other people. Yeah, that exactly. Would be awkward. That's the main reason I want you to do it. <laughs> you're cruel. Yes. Um. Okay. Ugh. Oh for, goodness. oh, for goodness sakes. Go, let's have the travel, shall we? Fine, fine. Southbound M11, it's still blocked off after the accident earlier, Saffron Walden down to Bishop Stortford. The northbound side has now reopened, but it's still queuing, with a fair bit of traffic going past Junction 8. Southbound M1, 20-minute delays from Dunstable toward Redbourne. It's quite busy on the M25, anti-clockwise, into the roadworks from Waltham Abbey to Enfield, and then as you continue from the M1 to the M40s looking busy. A1 into London, Boreham Wood, you've got the usual queues sterling corner down toward Mill Hill Circus they're heading across toward Oxford in Weekly. the A418 still a lane closed off after a lorry shed a load of steel cable onto the roundabout with the junction with the M40 at Junction 8A. And on the train's first Capital Connect, still reporting disruption, Kings Cross to and from Cambridge and Peterborough because of overrunning works at Welling Garden City. Some of the northbound lines are still blocked. A replacement bus service runs Stevenage to Letchworth Garden City and a reduced timetable is running for other services. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 7.30, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. President Zuma of South Africa has called on people around the world to pray for Nelson Mandela, who's now critically ill in hospital. And a disabled campaigner from Luton will hand in a 45,000 signature petition to Downing Street later in a bid to reverse the latest round of care cuts. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Australian coach Mickey Arthur has been sensationally sacked on the eve of the Ashes series with England. Former Australian bowler Damien Fleming says the decision's come out of the blue. I'm shocked at the timing, uh, although I would have thought he was on thin ice uh, with the performances of the team on the field in the last six months, particularly that uh, disastrous Indian tour where we lost 4-0. But also what's been happening off the field, it just shows for me that, uh, that they're not united and really for the leadership within the Australian team, that, that's the biggest job and that hasn't appeared to be happening in the last six months. Meanwhile, England threw away the chance to win their first ever 50-over international title as they suffered a five-run defeat to India in the final of the Champions Trophy at Edgebaston. The hosts suffered a dramatic batting collapse, needing just 20 from 16 balls. They lost four wickets for three runs in eight balls. Wimbledon gets underway this morning with British number one Andy Murray saying he's come to terms with perhaps never winning the title. You know, it's still an incredibly difficult tournament to win. You know, the players that are around just now are, are so good, so consistent that it's, it's going to be a tough tournament for me to win and I've you know I've thought about finishing my career and not winning Wimbledon and I'm you know I'm comfortable with that 
That's the spirit. Locally, Tara Moore, a wild card in the women's event, plays. She's from Potter's Bar, trains in Hatfield and will play the Estonian Kaya Kanepi. Tomorrow, Dave Rice from the Gosling Tennis Club in Wellins due to play in the men's doubles. Gosling's director of tennis, Matt Wilcox, believes he's more red- more than ready for the challenge. Uh, he's had fantastic preparation. On the singles court, he's won 15 of his last 18 matches and so far this year he's won four titles in doubles. So we're uh, yeah, really excited going into, into the next two weeks. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. Now, Catherine. Yes. Would it be completely unfeasonable for me to ask you to give me a grunt on the air? Absolutely unfeasonable. I'll give you one. Pardon? Ugh! Well, thanks. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Texts will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Caravans, let's get them off of our roads and off of our driveways. Let's get a big burning pyre of caravans, toss them all on there, and we'll have no more of those things. Yes, you can have your caravan parks. If you want to go and stay in a caravan, go to a caravan park. But do not ruin the roads and the streets and the driveways of this glorious country with those hideous boxes. 08459 555555 and tennis? Well, it's just for toffs, isn't it? All of that coming up in the next half an hour and a little bit more uh, indeed. If you want to give me a call, 08459 555555. Now, the tussle between the Chancellor George Osborne and his Cabinet colleagues over how much their budgets will be cut after the next election has been concluded. The outcome of the negotiations will be announced later this week in the government's spending review. George Osborne says everyone needs to understand that there will be more spending cuts for the sake of the economy. I think if Britain suddenly said we don't have the confidence to deal with our debts, we're not prepared to confront our problems as a nation, then we would go back into intensive care. And that's what this week is all about. It's about making clear that we are going to secure that recovery. We're going to go on taking the difficult decisions, go on cutting back spending, go on prioritising spending on the things that help the economy and cutting the spending that doesn't. Well, a number of cabinet ministers had been holding out for a better deal from the Treasury, each arguing the special case for the work done by their department. The Defence Secretary, Philip Hammond, has managed to secure a promise that there'll be no further cuts to military manpower, but has had to accept more civilian job losses at the Ministry of Defence. Another part of his deal will see fines paid by rogue bankers used to support the welfare of troops and veterans. But why is the Chancellor telling us now about all the cuts he'd have to make after the next general election? Part of the reason is to put pressure on Labour's shadow chancellor, Ed Balls, who admits he would have to stick to the coalition's plans for spending cuts. There's no point in shadow cabinet colleagues making the case for more spending. We're going to be Mm. reducing spending and that will be about priorities. But on capital spending, there is a case to say that at a time when interest rates are very low, there's certain things we can do on capital spending where you get a real return for the future from transport or road building or airport capacity or, or whatever. Well, the Chancellor will set out uh, all of this, where the latest £11.5 billion worth of cuts to department budgets will fall in his spending review on Sunday. Well, in response, a number of council officials have written a letter to central government saying that cuts cannot continue. James Jamieson is the Conservative leader of Central Bedfordshire Council. He signed his name to that letter. Good morning, James. Good morning. James, what would you like to hear this week? Well, ideally, I'd like to see the Chancellor supporting all the good work done by councils, uh, in particular recognising that we do have to deal with the toxic debt left by the Labour Party, 
um, a recognition that we're going to have to do things differently. And one way to do that is to actually enable councils uh, to operate more efficiently and deliver better for their residents. Uh, so, for instance, um, transferring some of the money from the NHS uh, into councils to help us with looking after the older people, preventative care, public health and things like that. I think we can deliver an awful lot more uh, more effectively for our residents. How, how do you think the local councils will be able to look after elderly people better than, than the system at the moment? Well, we do look after elderly people at the moment. In fact, uh, over a third of our budget goes on adult social care. Uh, and one of the things we're very much trying to do is preventative care, so uh, looking after people in the community uh, rather than having to go into hospital. I mean, one of the terrifying fa- facts that you hear is that one third of uh, the people in hospital are elderly people who don't need to be there. They're there because there's nowhere else for them to go, uh, no suitable places. Now, if we were able to access more of that money, we could save money for the NHS and actually look after people better, either in their own homes or, for instance, uh, in Greenacres in Dunstable, we have a, a very good step-up, step-down facility where we uh, take people out of hospital and we uh, provide them with uh, extra skills in terms of mobility so they can remain in their own home. Uh, there are some people, James, who think these, these, these uh, uh, campaigns to keep elderly people in their own homes is to save money on uh, care homes, which do cost a fortune, don't they? Uh, they do, and, and you're right. It, but, you know, one's got to recognise there is a residential care home, the right place for an elderly person, you know, much better for them to stay in their own home and if feasible. enable them to say that. If, if feasible, if feasible of course. And, and, and there, there might, we've spoken to people on this show who are worried that, um, that people will be kept in their homes just to save money when actually maybe money should be spent on moving them to a more suitable place. But, well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, for instance, that we uh, are going to be spending a lot of money on some extra care courts, which are sort of, sort of middle way. Uh, there's going to be one opening in Dunstable, hopefully in a couple of years' time, uh, at the Dukeminster Estate. And that is the right place, specifically designed homes for elderly people, where they have the facilities, where there is a community, where we can look after them, where they have still have their own freedom uh, to move about, etc., as opposed to going to residential care. And most elderly people would much rather be in that sort of facility than in residential care. What will a 10% cut look like in central Bedfordshire? Uh, well, that's going to be fairly painful. We we are expecting a cut of uh, five or six percent because that was announced uh, earlier. Ten um, percent will mean additional savings. Uh, we've been working very hard, and we set out a program three years ago to look for long-term savings, none of this sort of tactical salami slicing, but actually a strategic review of how we can save money in the long term. Um, some of that was in the elderly area, very much focusing on reablement. Uh, we've cut down our number of offices. We have had something like a 25% reduction in the senior management team. We've introduced a lot of uh, better procurement. Lots of these cuts. Right. Sorry to lots of these cuts are kind of behind the scenes, and and the, the people on the street won't necessarily have noticed them. I imagine if there is five, six, ten percent cut coming, then these cuts are going to be more visible, aren't they, to the public? Well, that is our worry, but we've worked really hard to, to avoid that, and that has been our strategy all along: is no cuts to frontline services. Uh, no increase in council tax. That's something that I am determined to continue with. And that's why I'm so keen to press this government to say, look, you know, we've done our bit. Local government has had a almost 30% reduction in its spending over the last few years, whereas the average department has only had 12% of government. 
you know, we are efficient, we are delivering. How about some of the other departments delivering? So if these cuts aren't going to be visible, uh, let's, let's assume it's a 5% cut, because that's an easy figure to work with. If these cuts, these new cuts, aren't visible to the man and woman on the street, where are you going to make them then? What, what, what else can you kind of streamline? Well, we're, we're continuing the programme. So, for instance, uh, this year we are going to be, one of our main offices is in Bedford. We will be moving out of that and reallocating people to our other offices. That will be a substantial saving. Uh, this year we've renegotiated some of our waste contracts, made a very significant saving there. Uh, we are continuing to slim down Manning. Uh, it is just a continuous process of trying to be more efficient, more effective. Why is it taking these cuts, then, to, to streamline uh, uh, councils? Why hasn't this been done automatically? That's uh, a very good question. I've been leader for, for two years. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it is a change of attitude, and I think within the public sector that is what's needed, a recognition that uh, the residents deserve a value for money. I think up until two, three years ago, there was very much a focus on expanding the public sector. Uh, and that change in attitude and that means that we're now getting some of those efficiencies. So you think that, that, that um, local councils, um, they are a little bit uh, the, the padded around the middle. There is a lot of stuff that isn't needed and, and can be got rid of without affecting public services. Well, I think there are opportunities for saving, but it, as you rightly said earlier, it is getting tight. But I do think uh, the public sector in general has some opportunities for savings. Uh, and it's quite interesting that councils are generally recognised to be the most efficient uh, part of the public sector. And I think there are certainly a number of other areas that could deliver greater efficiencies. And hence uh, the letter that I co-signed to uh, the government saying, look, the, the local government has done its bit. How about some of the other departments in government doing their bit? Uh, James, just to go off on a slight tangent, ever, ever been on a holiday in a caravan? I have, actually, yes. Really? A long time ago. Do, do, do long, not, long time ago. Well, apparently they've got toilets in now, they have showers in now. I'm shocked by this revelation. They're, they're a nuisance, yeah. aren't they, James? Is there anything that... that certainly that, didn't have showers in my day. Is there anything that Central Bedfordshire Council can do to make caravans illegal, James? They're a pain in the backside, aren't they? I think that's one for, for the Home Secretary. Uh, well, maybe you should sign a letter for that. James, nice to talk to you. Thank you, James Jameson, a Conservative leader of Central Bedfordshire Council. Um, th- th- talking about caravans, the reason we're talking about it is that they're, they're a, a councillor possibly is blocking a bit of a pavement with a, uh, a caravan she has jutting out of her driveway. They are flipping awful things, aren't they, caravans? They look... You know it's awful... Uh, and I haven't had this for a long time, but when a, a new family move in, oh, I can't wait to meet the new family. Oh, I can't wait to... Oh, they're le- oh, they've got a caravan in the driveway. You lose half the light in your living room. It looks... It looks awful, doesn't it? And listen, I, I, I'm not a snob. I'm not... It, it looks common. A caravan on the driveway looks dead common. And they're filthy. And, oh, yeah, maybe they'll get taken out three weekends a year. That means for about 358 days of the year, they're sat on a driveway covered in bird poop. They just let their teenage friends, uh, teenage children's friends come around and sleep in it. Probably smoking dope. Listening to N-dubs. Backstreet Boys. They're awful. And then... Do you need special training to tow a caravan on the motorway? I don't think you do, do you? I don't know if you do. Can someone phone up and let me know? Do you need special training to tow a caravan on the motorway? If you don't, and I suspect you don't, then you flipping well should have. Because they're a menace. They drive awfully with those things. 
No one this morning, none of you, could could possibly call up and defend the caravan. It's indefensible. Horrible. And they cost a fortune. They're like thousands of pounds. You could spend that money on staying in a cheap hotel. With beds! Imagine a real bed. 08459 455 555. Can you phone up and defend the caravan? It's impossible. Awful. What a holiday. There's nothing romantic. There's no magic. You bash your shins on those tow bars. And the people that stay in caravan parks as well. Oh, no, 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 no. 08459 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. There are still severe delays on the M11. The good news is it has now reopened both ways. Northbound opened very shortly after 20 past 7. Southbound reopened about 10 minutes after that. But it's really, really busy still between Saffron Walden and Bishop Stortford. The M1 southbound, you've got delays from around Junction 11 for the A505 down toward Junction 10, Luton Airport Spur, taking maybe 10 or 15 minutes to get through. Patches of traffic on the anti-clockwise M25. It's heavy from the M11 through to Potter's Bar, so in the road works and then again from the m1 round to the m40 laura gave us a call about the a41 said very slow apparently there's been an accident southbound between the a414 at the hemel hempstead turn and the m25 at king's langley and still issues if you're driving off toward oxford this morning in weekly the a418 a lane closed off after a lorry shed a load of steel cable onto the roundabout at the m40 at junction 8a the a1 into london looking slow from the holiday in junction at boreham wood down toward mill hill on the trains first capital connect disrupted King's Cross to and from Cambridge and Peterborough because of overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City. Some of the northbound lines are still blocked. A replacement bus service is running from Stevenage to Letchworth Garden City. There's now disruption on the Stansted Express as well, Bishop Stortford to Stratford. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh! Nice. Right, 7.46, it's Monday the 24th of June. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. A disabled campaigner from Luton will hand in a 45,000 signature petition to Downing Street later in a bid to reverse the latest round of care cuts. In sport, it's the first day of Wimbledon. And the British number one, Andy Murray, will be third on centre court as he faces German tennis player Benjamin Becker. Coming up, we'll be talking about the housing market and what do we do to get it moving? Well, we could put it on wheels and call it a caravan. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, it's a bit of a calmer week, I'm pleased to say, and temperatures slowly starting to feel that little bit warmer. Now, there's a lot of cloud around, but it is thin from now. We've already seen some sunshine over towards the west of the region, and this will continue to come and go. Some thinner cloud, brighter spells, even some sunshine. The wind gradually decreasing through the course of the day as well, so it will start to feel that little bit lighter. We're looking at a maximum temperature later on this afternoon, if we're lucky, of around 19, maybe even 20 Celsius. One or two very 
isolated showers could develop through the course of the afternoon, but they will be light and fairly short-lived. Now, towards the end of the evening, any cloud will die away, leaving some really nice evening sunshine to enjoy. But that uh, paves the way to a clear night tonight. So temperatures dropping right down. Outside of towns and cities, we're looking at a minimum temperature of around 7 Celsius. That's 45 degrees in Fahrenheit. So set sail for a sunny start to Tuesday, uh, but eventually that cloud will start to increase again. But it's similar to today. Some brighter spells, some sunny spells, and it's going to feel a little warmer. And gradually through the course of the week, the temperature's slowly returning to average. And by Thursday, we're looking at 21, maybe even 22 Celsius. That's your forecast. Thank you very much, Kate. If you've got a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Well, every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather. The JVS show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. Said send the receipt off and you'll get the cheque in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club. Email jvsshow at bd. .co.uk. I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you. Thanks ever so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Boom. Caravans. Hideous, awful, disgusting things. It's 2013. You can get reasonably priced hotels now. You haven't got to tow your hotel on the back of your car. They look awful parked up on people's driveways. They look awful and are dangerous driving along the motorways. If you really want to stay in a caravan, well, caravan parks, guess what? They have caravans. Dave's in Marsh Farm. Morning, Dave. Hello. I'm talking sense, aren't I? You're talking a load of nonsense. Sorry? You're talking a load of nonsense that you usually do. What do you mean by that, Dave? Caravans are awful. Everyone knows that. I've got a caravan. I've had a caravan since the mid-80s, and we use it... Near enough every weekend this time of the year, going out collecting money for a deaf children's charity, and it's perfectly clean. As I sent a picture, so you can see what it looks like. I've, I've got a picture. I noticed that some of it is covered in a black bin liner. That is a tow bar, so it don't get g- grease on your trousers when you walk by it. Okay, and and you think it's acceptable to have um, something covered in a black bin liner on your driveway? It's not on my driveway. It's in my back garden. No one can get. No one can get to it. No one can see it. Okay, and how do you get it out of your back garden? Under a big gate. I converted the fence to a double gate. Well, look at you. You're you're, you're living the dream. But Dave, what, what's the benefit of having a caravan? Well, we go out to these steam rallies and things with our fair organ, and there we we stay. We put a gazebo up with oh. the organ in it, and we stay overnight. Oh dear. Why what do you mean, oh dear? Sorry. What do you mean, oh dear? They're uncomfortable things, aren't they, They're Dave? They're uncomfortable. It's, it's got warm air heating in it. It's, oh. got, it's, got, it's got a shower in it. It's got a lovely stereo. Everything what? in it. And we've been, we've been away some Christmases in it. Oh, no, Dave. That is sad. We've cooked, it's got a full oven and a cooker in there. We've cooked a full Christmas dinner in oh, there. Oh, gosh, Dave. I feel sorry for you. Well, I don't feel sorry for you staying in hotels in a second-hand bed. How do you know what's been done in these second-hand beds? The germs you're going to catch from hotel beds. I know someone who works in a hotel, and she told me what 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 they used to see and what happened on on beds. And you go and sleep in them. No, thank you. I'm tempted to ask, but I I, I won't. I, I can say in my 40 years of living, um, and boy, what a 40 years it's been. I don't think I've ever caught anything from a hotel bed, but I do know that I've had horrible nights um, in caravans. Well, we sleep better in our van, and we do at home. Well, maybe you should spend some money on a decent bed. 
We've got a decent bed, thank you very much. Do you not think, Dave, though, seriously, do you not, th- do you not think it's... You sound like a sensible guy. Do you not think it's a little bit pathetic spending Christmas in a caravan when you should no, be... It was, ab- it was absolutely gorgeous. We, we had decorations with a little tree up. The, both our dogs we had at the time Oh, it. no, you didn't have dogs in a caravan. That is disgusting. That is disgusting. You talk to me oh, about dirty hotel beds. You've got two dogs stuck up in a caravan with you. That's horrible. Not at all. Imagine when they come in, the filth and muck they'll bring in, Dave. I don't think so. I think no. so. No. Yes? It don't smell in there. It's really nice. You would say you would say they don't smell, but you but that's because you can't tell. You're immune to the stinky dogs in your dirty caravan. It's not a dirty caravan, thank you very much. It's much very, much very clean than your pants are, the way you tell us you don't wash. Dave, nice talking to you this morning. Thank you. Ta-ta. Dave and Marshall. His caravan is cleaner than my pants. He may have a point today, actually. He may have a point today. Oh, wait, 459, 455, 555. A vigorous defence of the caravan there. We sh- you're right, we should do... Can we do a show from a caravan? Is that feasible? Let's do a show from a caravan. I will spend the night in a caravan, and then we'll do a show that morning from the caravan. How's about, how's about them apples? We'll make that happen. Now kind of a, a associated topic how do we get the housing market moving today the royal institution of chartered surveyors has released a report saying successive governments have failed to find a long-term solution to the housing crisis they've put forward a number of measures they believe would help including scrapping stamp duty for older people who want to downsize and doubling the target for releasing public land so more houses can be built well paul tennant is a spokesperson for the royal institution of chartered surveyors and joins me now good morning paul morning. Are there any government strategies in place that you think will make a difference? What we have at the moment is a number of initiatives as opposed to a long-term strategy. So some of the initiatives around help to buy, those type of initiatives have helped with some part of the market and have stimulated some areas. What we are looking for is a long-term strategy which makes sure that we've got long-term investment and structured solutions to the dysfunctional housing market in this country. And what are some of those long-term solutions? What we're looking for is to ensure that we get a structure around land supply because land is one of the most expensive parts of development. We want to ensure that there's investment around the private rented sector. We need grant, not just revenue support, to go into affordable housing. We need to ensure that there's a structure around planning arrangements. We also make sure that there's a recognition of sustainability. So what we're looking for is a, a rounded approach to the problems that we have because the housing market at the moment is producing high levels of unaffordable housing, which means effectively we have market failure. Is one of the problems, Paul, that not enough houses are being built? That is the problem. What we have at the moment is half the number of houses being developed every year compared to household formation. As a result of that, the affordable housing sector has huge demand, the private rented sector is seeing increases in uh, rent and demand. And in the private sector, uh, deposits remain a consistent problem for people being able to afford to get onto the ladder. We were talking about um, uh, housing last week and how it, if, for a lot of first-time buyers in the three counties, they might have to save for uh, around 11 years to get the money together to put down a deposit on a house. Absolutely. That's quite terrifying, isn't it? It is. The average age of the first-time buyer in this country currently is 37. That's terrifying as well. Mm. I think what we are seeing is that people living in the private rented sector, if the rents are high, their ability to start to save 
is always a problem for them. So getting the mortgage can be a challenge, but actually raising the deposit, in most cases, the bigger challenge. Stamp duty is too much as well, isn't it? Well, stamp duty is an area which requires reform as far as we're concerned. I think it's applied as a bit of a, a one-size-fits-all. And as you can see from the report, we're looking for some form of flexibility and understanding as to how this can be used in a more effective way. And what could we do? Well, the, the suggestion around all the people to try and encourage greater flexibility so that we can encourage people to move. Because, again, in some cases, people are thinking, well, if I do move, these are the costs that are associated with it. What we're trying to do is to make the market more flexible, ensure that people can adapt to their own circumstances, and particularly as their needs change, that people are not restricted to the house they're currently in. Paul, are we too hung up in this country on buying property with a lot of the continent and, and in the states the, the buying is the exception renting is the norm i think we have been i think what we're seeing now is a, a significant reduction in the percentage of people who are homeowners in this country but one of the things we're looking for is to ensure that you have a broad range of housing options available to people because in some cases not everyone wants to buy they may want mobility for personal reasons for job reasons whatever so what we're trying to do is to ensure that there's an affordable option, whatever people's personal circumstances are. And I don't think people should be bounced into having to buy and be seen as the only way forward, because it does suit different circumstances. And I think as we move forward, people do want that greater flexibility, but we don't have the housing options which are at an affordable level, and that's the key that we see. Paul, I appreciate your time. Paul Tennant, spokesperson for the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveys. I remember when I bought my first flat, I didn't know what stamp duty was. Buying my first flat, I completely messed that up. I had no idea what you do. I hadn't seen um, uh, location, location, location. I didn't know you did it on the phone and, and played a game. Went to a flat, liked it. Went back to the flat, liked it, and said to the guy, right, I'll, I'll buy it. W what, what do I do? Um, I'll give you £10,000 less. He said, well, you know, he, he could smell a sucker. Well, no, it's a, I ended up paying exactly the asking price. What an idiot. But I didn't know what, what stamp duty was. So I, I was stretched to the maximum to afford this house. And I was, listen, I was, um, uh, this flat, I, I was earning TV money, which back in those days was quite decent. I still had to borrow five grand off my mum. I know. Uh, and I was stretched to the maximum. And then we, we got the, the, the bill for the stamp duty. We're like... Uh, sorry, I've got to find this much? 08459 455 555. One solution is we all just go and live in flipping awful caravans. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Severe delays for the M11 both ways after an accident earlier between Saffron Walden at Junction 9 and Bishop Stortford at Junction 8. It's looking particularly slow. The anti-clockwise M25, well, it's looking a little bit busy at the minute as well. We've got problems as you come from the M11 through to a Potter's Bar. Delays because of the roadworks. And as you continue from the M1 to the M40, it's queuing as well. The M1 southbound got delays from Junction 11 at the A505 toward 9 at Redbourne, taking about 15 or 20 minutes to get through. On the A1 at the Black Cat Roundabout, you've got 15 minute delays from the Kimbolton turn down toward the Great Barford Bypass. It's looking slow on the A41 southbound. Apparently we've had an accident between the Hemel Hempstead turn at the A414 and the M25 at Kings Langley, Junction 20. A1 into London, Boreham Wood queues from the Holiday Inn Junction toward Mill Hill. We had issues off toward Oxford this morning, but the A418 is now completely clear at the junction with the M40. On the trains, though, still disruption. First Capital Connect, Kings Cross through to Cambridge and Peterborough because of overrunning works. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. 
morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Tennis. It's just for toffs, isn't it? Can we find a decent working person who plays tennis? I think not. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. eight o'clock. I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines claims police tried to discredit Lawrence family. Luton campaigner heads for Downing Street and successive governments accused of housing failures. BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. Peter Francis, a former undercover officer, says he looked unsuccessfully for material to discredit the family in the aftermath of the murder 20 years ago. Imran Khan, a solicitor for Stephen's mother, says he shares her sense of shock. It ought not to be shocking given the way in which the Metropolitan Police have treated the family over the years, but I think what we need to do, and certainly having spoken to Doreen, what I'm proposing to is write to the present commissioner and say, well, we want to know who did sanction it, what are the documents, what was revealed, and what did they do with the information? President Zuma of South Africa has called on people around the world to pray for Nelson Mandela, who's now critically ill in hospital. Mr Mandela's been treated in Pretoria for a lung infection for the past 16 days, but his condition deteriorated yesterday. The Luton woman whose petition against care cuts achieved 45,000 signatures will hand it into Downing Street later. 29-year-old psychology graduate Angela Murray has been disabled since childhood. She says the lack of support for people in her position is preventing them from living full lives. The Treasury will announce plans this week to invest in major infrastructure projects after reaching agreement with all government departments on cutting spending by £11.5 billion. The Business Secretary Vince Cable was the last minister to settle his budget. Our political correspondent Ian Watson reports. Every government department has now reached an agreement with the Treasury on their budgets for 2015-16, the year of the general election. The deal with Vince Cable was signed off only last night following a phone call earlier in the day with his fellow Liberal Democrat Danny Alexander, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury. On Wednesday, the Chancellor will outline where the axe will fall most heavily and which departments will escape relatively unscathed. But then on Thursday, Danny Alexander will spell out how some of the savings will be reinvested in infrastructure projects such as new housing, road and rail improvements and faster broadband. A report by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors has accused successive governments of failing to produce a coherent housing strategy. Michael Newey chairs the RICS Housing Commission, which produced the report. Over the 10 years between 2001 and 2011, house prices went up by almost 100%, where average wages only went up by about 24 25%. As a result, we've got real affordability issues and we've got an undersupply of housing. Somewhere along the lines, we've actually got to break that syndrome because we can't carry on in an environment where house prices continue romping out of control compared to wages. In sport, defending champion Roger Federer insists he has no concerns about what he needs to do to retain his Wimbledon title. Federer will open day one on centre court with a first round match against the Romanian Victor Enescu. The weather, sunshine and showers with a top temperature of 19 degrees Celsius, that's 66 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm getting a rabbit today. I'm not convinced, but I'm getting a rabbit. A free rabbit. Free rabbit was being offered. I hope it's what I think it is. And I said, yeah, I'll have it. Free rabbit. The kids will love that. Superb. Well, I went and bought a hutch at the weekend. Stick it outside. It's £109 for a hutch. 
for a wooden box with metal. Jeez. Better not get eaten by a fox. Be furious. Lots coming up between now and JVS at nine o'clock, including... New research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government introduced its migration cap. Well, is the UK welcoming to foreigners? Andy Murray's mum has said she's worried that tennis is still middle class and elitist. Is tennis for toffs? And a Bedford councillor has caused a row with some of her neighbours over a mobile home parked on her driveway for over a year. Isn't it time we banned people from owning caravans? Dirty, dirty things. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give me a call. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. And you can give us a call uh, about... I'm looking at the wrong hour. I do apologise. Look, it's my fault. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm looking at the wrong hour. I'm an idiot. I was panicking there. There was panic in my voice as I threatened the production team with immediate disciplinary action if this was not sorted out. It was my fault. But I'm still not going to take that threat away because I think it's good to keep you on your toes. Uh, This morning... What an idiot. Uh, This morning we're asking whether the UK is welcoming to foreigners. New research suggests that overseas students, including those in the three counties, feel they're less welcome since the government introduced its migration cap. Excuse me. More than 10% of the students at University of Bedfordshire are international. Well, Justin Dealey has been speaking to foreign workers in Luton. Uh, Justin, what, do they, what have they been saying? Do, do they feel that we, we welcome them with open arms? Oh, absolutely. Good morning to you, by the way, boss. Uh, here's a question for you. Name me a better country than the UK. Go on, there is my challenge to you. Well, Name in, me one better. In, in terms of what? Well, this country's fantastic, isn't it? You think about the people, you think about the countries, yep. you think about the food, you think about the yep. culture. Name me a better country than the UK. People, all they do is moan about it what's better japan why it's awesome well you talk about the food wonderful yeah. food you talk about the people they're so friendly and they're so helpful you talk about the culture oh it goes back for thousands of years it's wonderful so japan japan yep. if you if you move today yep. would you miss the uk no uh, do you know what i'd go off on a tangent I, we, I, we very nearly moved to japan it was it was it was talked about in great depth see i couldn't i just couldn't give me the weather i think we've got the perfect perfect nation but okay. i have been talking to foreign workers it comes a close it comes a close fifth so <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in Luton. I've been talking to foreign workers. Now, they all say to me that they love the UK and they were certainly made to feel welcome. We heard from two people earlier, from Algeria and from Morocco. This is Aneta. She's from Poland and she's been living here in the UK for seven years now. Um, I think it was quite welcoming at that time. It was seven years ago, really. Did you kind of feel a little bit like some people saying, oh, here we go, here's another foreigner who's come to work in the UK? Uh, some people treated me like this, but I think a long time ago people appreciated Poles here mm. and their work, hard work. So at that time, uh, people 
especially from our countries, were appreciated. So I didn't feel really unwelcome. I was maybe treated differently by certain people, mm. but I didn't really find English people treating me bad. It was rather more, or the foreigners, rather more like different nations that have been here for long time that were rather yeah. more um, treating me badly if I didn't understand English and I when I came here I spoke English already but I had some hard time understanding people and I found some people treated me badly because of that rather than give me a chance so I worked really hard on that and I never let people treat me that way again it's very interesting and you speak very good English by the way um, you've been here for seven years just lastly if you left the UK today would you miss this country I think I would miss it. Sometimes I wonder about that and I would definitely miss England. So, What would you miss about this country? I would miss people that I met here. I finished university here as well, so I would miss the language. And surely you'd miss our weird sense of humour, which is very strange in this country, you've got to admit. Uh, firstly, I didn't know what people laughed at when yeah. I came here. I didn't yeah. get it. I didn't think that was funny. But now I actually got the joke and it actually makes me laugh now. I think it's English people are very funny. Well, some English people are very funny, Justin. Yeah, when you're not, obviously. Hey, but, uh, some are. Some you are. started off so yeah. well. You came on, you <laughs> called me boss, you finally gave me the yeah. respect I deserved in your common working class way, <laughs> um, and, and it's disappeared again. But I'll tell you what, though, fascinating point there. It wasn't people, it wasn't the English people who didn't make her feel welcome. It was other foreigners living in this country mm. who didn't make her feel welcome. I find that absolutely incredible. Justin, nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you a bit later on, uh, possibly during the show. Well, uh, Alice, a crazy is a researcher for the Institute for Public Policy uh, Research. And she says the cap uh, is all... Uh, oh, look at this, I'm all over the shop today. I do apologise. I know it's terrible. Can we start the show again? Can we go back to six o'clock and start again? There is a cap that limits the number of people from outside of the EU who can work in the UK. And earlier this month, research from universities showed British universities had a decline in a number of students coming here from India and Pakistan. Back to where we were. Alice Sokrada is a researcher with the Institute for Public Policy Research. She says the cap is not a good idea. At a time at the moment when universities are actually really um, struggling and a lot of universities um, are finding that they're, um, that they're struggling to, kind of to, to, to run at the moment, they need the extra finances that international students bring, both in their courses. Um, and also they, have, um, they, they treat the experience like... Um, like they're tourists, they, they spend a lot of money locally, they bring family to come to the UK for holidays, um, they build those, those um, trade links in the future. Do you think that we, uh, as a nation, are welcoming enough to immigrants? No, I don't, and I, and I think we should be more welcoming. Well, Daniel Stevens is the International Students Officer with the National Union of Students. Morning, Daniel. Good morning. Daniel, do you think this migration cap makes international students feel less welcome in this country? Absolutely. I think it's more, it's not just the migration cap, it's what the migration cap actually does. It creates an incentive for the government to reduce the number of international students coming to the UK. And so there's been various uh, events this year which have really uh, translated into international students basically being unwelcome, not just feeling unwelcome. So we've had, of course, the situation at London Metropolitan University, where 2,000 international students didn't know whether or not they could continue to study at London Met. Um, we've had international students having to queue overnight in the rain in London just to register with the police. And now we've had international students essentially being monitored, treated like criminals by their institutions because of new UKBA guidelines. Do you think a decline in numbers of students from certain areas like India and Pakistan has to do with this cap, or is that the stricter visa requirements? 
Well, it's the stricter visa requirements, and that's caused because of the cap. I mean, the reason they introduced the stricter visa requirements was to essentially reduce the numbers to, to, to make their cap. Um, they have an electoral pledge to reduce net migration from the hundreds of thousands to the tens of thousands. You can only do that by reducing the number of international students. There's no other way. I'm detecting an accent, Daniel. Where are you from? <laughs> That's a bit complicated. I'm originally from Brazil, but I grew up in the United States. Okay, so you, you, you kind of... Are, and did you come over here to study? Yes, yeah, I came here uh, to study at the University of Warwick. And how welcoming have, have you found people to, to you as, as, a, as a foreigner coming here to study? So I think the important thing is to, to make a difference between the government and the people. I mean, I, I love the British people. I had so many British friends. I had a fantastic time here. I mean, the, the, the report also showed that international students generally do enjoy the course and do enjoy their time here. Um, and I think what, when they say they feel unwelcome, it's not because of the people. The people are absolutely fantastic. It's because of the government and its policies. And, and how, has it made it difficult for you, the government's policies, Daniel? <laughs> Absolutely. I have many, many uh, nightmares of uh, difficulties trying to apply for visas. So what have, you, what have you had to do? How has it been difficult? Because I, I have no experience of this at all. T- tell me what you've had to do, to, to what hoops you've had to jump through. So uh, as, a start, as a starting point, you have to fill out a 50-page document um, and put numerous documentation together, which are incredibly strict. Um, so one example is bank statements. You only have to have certain bank statements, uh, and they have to be stamped in a certain way. And halfway through the year, NatWest changed its policy, so it was no longer essentially giving out these bank statements. You'd have to order it online, and that would take a long time. And so it's, it's all these bureaucratic and little things that require, make, make the entire process uh, a nightmare. But I've also had to, I've had to wait in line hours just to register with the police. Mm. Um, I've had to... Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's numerous different things. And, and international students, all of these stories of how bureaucratic the process is. I mean, the one big thing, actually, uh, and this is, this is one thing, is the government makes changes uh, and applies them retrospectively. Right. So when I came to this country, I would have the right to apply for a visa um, to essentially stay on another two years. Uh, they took that away, um, even for international students that were currently in the country who came here thinking that they'd have the right for this visa. Can you understand why the government is trying to tighten the rules, though? Because we do hear stories about students that come here uh, taking part in, in, on sham courses, on, on fake uh, universities, or overstaying their visa and kind of d- disappearing into the country. Absolutely, and I think everyone uh, recognises this, and everyone in the education sector certainly uh, wants to ensure that, uh, y- y- that, we, uh, that we don't encourage illegal immigration or illegitimate students. But I think these rules have been so heavy-handed that it can't just be about this. I mean, there's, there's virtually no way you can have bogus students anymore. The system's um, so tight right now that any further changes, and they keep introducing further changes, uh, is, is just, I think, political. And finally, Daniel, you think the government is not being particularly welcome, but you would say that the general public is quite welcoming to, to immigrants. Yeah, absolutely. Although I would say I think the I think the only problem that you have right now is right wing parties, which are kind of whipping up anti immigration sentiment. I think th- th- in recent times this has been worrying. Um, I think you, you generally have this kind of anti immigrant sentiment that's on the rise, and really I, w- I would say that's down to political parties not having uh, the courage to stand up and say actually no immigration isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, a lot of the problems that are, are are being caused aren't because of immigration; it's because of a bad economy or because of times are rough. And that's really the danger, I think, is a a lack of political leadership in this area. 
Daniel, I've uh, been really interested in talking to you. Thank you. It's Daniel Stevens, International Students Officer with the National Union of Students. We did invite the Immigration Minister, Mark Harper, to join us on the programme, but he declined. Uh, they sent us a statement which basically says there's no limit on the number of genuine students who can come here. 08459 555555. The number to call me. You can also start calling, J- uh, calling JVS, who's on at nine. He's asking this morning, do you think this country's becoming too hostile to immigrants? Something that Daniel kind of uh, nodded towards at the end there when he's talking about the, the, the rise of um, slightly extreme parties and groups. Do you think this country's becoming too hostile to immigrants? That's the big question with JVS after nine. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Some slightly better news for the trains. First Capital Connect, they're still running with delays of up to half an hour between King's Cross and Cambridge and Peterborough. This is after overrunning engineering works at Welling Garden City earlier this morning. The good news, though, is that all lines have reopened, so it's just residual delays for the time being. The A1, coming toward the Black Cat roundabout from Kim Bolton, about 15 or 20 minutes worth of traffic. The M11, still severe delays after the accident earlier this morning between Saffron Walden and Bishop Stortford. The M1 southbound looks slow from Junction 11 as you go past Dunstable toward 10 at the Luton Airport Spur. Northbound, it's looking slow in the same sort of area past Junction 10. The A41, very slow, apparently an accident between the Hemel Hempstead turn and Kings Langley, Junction 20 of the M25, so the A41 is looking really busy there. Anti-clockwise M25, heavy traffic from the M11 to Potter's Bar into the roadworks section, queues as well from the M1 through to the M40, and the A1 into London is looking slow from the Holiday Inn Junction at Borehamwood down to Mill Hill and the A41. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thanks, Adam. Right, 8.17, it's Monday the 24th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. President Zuma of South Africa has called on people around the world to pray for Nelson Mandela, who's now critically ill in hospital. In sport, England's cricketers grasped defeat from the jaws of victory as they were beaten by five runs uh, by India in the final of the Champions Trophy at Edgebaston. Coming up, there was a taxi strike in Bedford on Saturday night and there's a threat of another. Find out why before half past eight. BC Three Counties Radio. This week on the BBC... Shoulder strain, strain. Under immense pressure. Yelled. A little scream right there. Those legs are getting heavy. It only hurts so much. This is a desperate last stand because they want it so bad. Yeah! He stands on top of world tennis. Wimbledon champion. Wimbledon starts today across the BBC. Don't don't fill me with. I'm getting a fox. I'm getting a fox. <laughs> I'm, uh, you might be, but I'm, well, I'm you getting, don't know it yet. I'm getting a rabbit. Ollie the Cleaner, um, it, there was an email going around uh, on Friday. Who wants a rabbit? Ollie the Cleaner's got a rabbit. I'll have that. The boys will love it. The boys will love it. Not realising that uh, hutches cost a fortune. How much have you spent on your hutch? £109. <gasps> Sweet. Is that how much a rabbit hutch costs? And this isn't even a deluxe. This isn't even a to- two-floor rabbit hutch. This is your bog-standard rabbit hutch. But now you're telling me horrific stories. Well... 
I I had rabbits when I was younger. Yeah. I had a number of rabbits. Yeah. And one by one, the fox oh. got them. And the fox... I mean, my granddad built all of my rabbit hutches. Ah. And he built them good old-fashioned style. Yeah. You know, nice thick timber. Yeah. Good old bolts over the doors. These foxes, they used to rip the fronts of the doors off. Hideous. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But never mind. Because you're a train killer... Yes. yes. All you need to do is get a gun licence. Yeah. Now you live in the countryside. Exactly. Gun licence, tweed yeah. jacket, and uh, just just hide up in the boys' bedrooms and uh, take, take them out. I, I don't want to particularly be staying up all night with my sniper rifle and my night vision goggles shooting foxes. I, I'd rather just leave the rabbit out. I mean, they, they clean themselves and feed themselves and look after themselves pretty much, from, from what I'm guessing. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to be shooting foxes. Right. I don't want to cut... We can speak freely, okay? If you've got young ears, then then um, block them. Turn the radio off. <laughs> I don't want to come down and find a bloodbath. I don't want to see a um, bloody mess. I'm not swearing. I don't want to see a bloody mess in my garden. No. Again. I just... The, the most tragic one for me, I had this beautiful dwarf lot rabbit oh. called Henry. He had got droopy ears down his side, yeah. and he was lovely. And uh, he used to come into the house as well. He'd often yeah. spend a lot of time in the house. And he was really lovely rabbit. And, and the fox got Henry... And do you know how I knew when I came down in the morning and his, his hutch door was open and there was just Henry fur uh-huh. all over the garden? Okay. And I tell you something, if I had a carving knife and that fox came in, yeah. I would have killed it with my bare hands. You're a really nasty piece of work deep down inside, aren't you? I would have killed that fox. I would have got it and killed it. Are you OK? Do you want to carry on? Do you need a moment to compose yourself? You okay? That's all right. Deep breath. Okay. I'm okay. Jonathan Villensmith, where you go? Coming up on the big phone in this morning from nine. Do you think this country is becoming too hostile to immigrants? Uh, as you've been discussing this morning, and more than half of the foreign students in this country say they feel less welcome in the UK since the government took a tougher line on immigration. The business secretary, Vince Cable, has said that hostility to foreign students could damage the UK economy. The Department for Business, Innovation and Skills has told the BBC that international students make a huge contribution to the UK and we must make sure they get the message that they are welcome here to study. Well, from nine this morning, do you think this country is becoming too hostile to immigrants? Does it worry you? Do you think we are, frankly, risking putting off some very talented people wanting to come here and wanting to make this their home from nine this morning your calls your views oh eight four five nine four double five five double five and if originally you did move to this country from elsewhere do you feel as if this country is becoming hostile to you i'd love to hear from you from nine you said that with such passion i'm passionate about it call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five bbc three counties radio 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We're talking about lots this morning. I'm going to throw it all at you. Cleopatra coming at you. Are you ready? No one can defend a caravan. They are awful. They are unsightly. The people that drive them should be locked up. They are disgusting things. 08459 555 555. Tennis is for toffs. It's elitist. It's for those people who've got loads of money. It's exclusive. And it's boring. 81333, start your text 3CR. And have I made a terrible mistake getting a rabbit? It better come today. Ollie, it better bring that rabbit in today because there is a three and a half year old boy at home who was very, very upset when I told him that we weren't getting the rabbit Yes, I want the rabbit today, Dad. Well, it's, it's with Ollie and it's in Luton. I want the rabbit today. If I don't go back with a rabbit today, I'm, well, there's no point in me going back. 08459 455 555. There's your lot. Take your pick. 
see what you fancy. Maria's in Luton. Good morning, Maria. Good morning. I was just phoning about the caravan. What can we do, Maria, to get rid of them from our roads and our driveways? I I don't think you should get rid of them, really. Sorry? You know, you you shouldn't get rid of them. They're brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Why? Why? Well, put it this way. We've just been away. I've got twins who are 19 months old. Yep. Oh, blimey. We've been away. Pardon? Blimey. I bet that's hard work. That is hard work, but it's fantastic, really. Of course it is, yeah. And we've been away for eight nights. Um, as I said, they're 19 months. We were out on a field. They run about. They had great fun. We were by the seaside, so it couldn't have been better for them, really. You were brave taking two 19-month-olds away for eight days in a caravan, Maria. Well, that's what it's about, I think. Um, I've always recommended it to my friends. If you've got children... Why don't you use a caravan, take them away, instead of sitting in front of a television, playing on the PlayStation, right. they've got so much else to do. You've got a TV in your caravan? Yes. Ah! It come on. <laughs> so what you did, instead of being in the luxury of your wonderful, warm, safe home on a fantastic, gorgeous, comfy sofa, you went and sat oh, in, a, no. in a pokey little caravan and watched telly no. in there. No, because we weren't in the caravan until the evening. And we were out and about. They were chasing the ball. They were playing with other children. They went to the seaside and paddled in the sea. I mean, you know, when How they many... grow up, they can go to school and say, this is what I did this weekend, rather than say, oh, I've just watched telly all weekend, or I've played on my PlayStation. How many times did you bash your shins on the tow bar going out to go to the loo? I don't need to go out to the loo. What? We've got a loo inside the no, I listen, and so, a shower. Someone tried to convince me of this before. No, you haven't. It's not possible. Oh, it is possible. You know it is, because you've probably seen them. We've even got a set bed in the caravan. So we don't have to make it up like, you you know, you normally used to. Well, that was the thing, wasn't it? In the 70s and 80s, you would go in and you would try and find where the... Hey, it says on the brochure it's got five beds. Let's try and find them. And they were in the most obscure <laughs> places. Do you tow your caravan around? I don't. My husband tows. OK. And does it sit on your driveway for the rest of the year? It sits on my driveway, but we do take it out quite regularly. Your poor, poor neighbours, Maria. Must, what must they think? No, because, no, because, you know, well, you mentioned about the caravan sitting in front of the house. Well, we're lucky enough not to be able, not to do that. Oh, OK. We sit it by the side of the house and between the garage and the house. Oh, it dear. doesn't disturb anybody. And it's actually kept quite clean. It's, it's quite clean. It's kept very clean. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, you're a good sport. Thank you for coming on, and good luck with those two 19-month-olds. Twins, twins. Oh, how do people cope? Um, talking about rabbits, it's Brendan in Bedford. Good morning, Brendan. Hi, how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. I'm excited. I'm getting a rabbit today. We had a rabbit once in our back garden. Yeah. Ages ago. Right. But the problem we had... It was taken by what we suspect the fox or another rabbit but wild. Hang on a second. I, I, I've heard of foxes eating pet rabbits. Of course, we all have. A wild rabbit taking your pet rabbit? Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. But it was just taken. Do you have any evidence to back up? Was, it, it wasn't, was this when you were a kid or when you were a grown-up? I was... I'm eight years... Older than my sister. Right. Or seven and a half years older. Right. And from that, can I work out how old you were when you had a rabbit? You might be able to. How? I need more, I need more data to complete this mathematical formula. We were, we were, we were in the 90s. Right, I got a minute. <laughs> 
I'm, okay, I, I, one more thing, and then I'll work this out. How old are you now? I'm 35, 30, uh, 37. OK, so you were about 15 and your sister was about eight. Yeah. Well, that was a torturous route to get there, wasn't it? You could have just told me. Do, are you sure that maybe your sister didn't um, uh, do something to the rabbit? Or maybe your parents, I've heard this before, that parents are so annoyed with, with pets and rabbits that they, they just kill them uh, no, and say, don't. oh, no, a fox came. A wild rabbit came and took it, Brendan. Don't be upset. Could, yeah. it have, could it have been your parents? No. OK, Brendan, that was a... Anyone else found that a really stilted, awkward conversation? I had to work to get the information there. I think I've earned my £500 per show fee I get. I think I've earned that today. We had a very impassioned speech earlier on in the show from Justin Dealey, who was basically saying, England is the greatest country in the world. There's nowhere quite like it. Well, I, I disagree. I think Japan is perhaps the greatest country in the world. Tim's in Luton. Tim, you've called in about this, have you? I certainly have. What, what, what's, what's your take? What is the greatest country in the world? Um, I would, were I be lucky enough to have my time over again, I would go to New Zealand, and were they not available to me, um, Canada. Why? Now, I've got my uh, brother-in-law's from New Zealand, and uh, it's too far away for me to ever travel. Why New Zealand? Oh, no, it's not, Ian. What? It's only a day to get there. Yeah, it's a day. It's only a day on an aeroplane, Tim. <laughs> well, that's how I got there. Um, it's it's a multicultural society like ours, but the country's maintained its identity. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's very similar to Great Britain in many respects, um, uh, topographically, um, but they've still got law and order. They've got respect. Um, English is the first language. It's got and I, I, I've, listen. I've seen photos of it and, and the things, and I will go there at some point. It's got amazing scenery as well, hasn't it? It's gobsmacking. Yeah, absolutely gobsmacking. Um, and it, it, it's a country that's got immense pride. I mean, it, if, if you take their sport, for example, um, the All Blacks, the um, their rugby union side are consistently the best rugby team in the world. Tim, why didn't you? Why, if if you, you're so passionate about it, why didn't you emigrate there? Um, it's a bit of a long story, but I was so locked into my job yeah. that um, with, with a great career in this country, yeah. it would have been basically starting from square one, which um, really wasn't viable at the time. Tim, we have to end it there, but uh, I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I, I, there was talk a few years ago of my wife and I moving to Japan for probably a year. We were the yay close to doing it. And then guess what? We had a baby. Well, there were other things as well. There were other things. One is I, I felt bad. My, my mum's not very well. I felt bad about leaving my mum. And also the cat. The cat was the big thing. We can't leave a cat. Well, I'm not going to get rid of velvet, am I? We'll do it when she dies. And then... Uh, oh, wait, 459 <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Delays on the A1 southbound can Bolton down to the Black Cat roundabout and we've had some unconfirmed reports of an overturned car near to the roundabouts. That could be what's causing the hold-ups through there. Certainly it's taking 15 or 20 minutes through the traffic. If you can see what's going on, please do give us a call. 08459 455555. The M11 still looking really slow. Severe delays both ways after the accident earlier between Saffron Walden and Bishop Stortford. 
Southbound M1 is looking slow from Junction 11 at Dunstable down toward 10 at the Luton Airport Spur, taking 10 or 15 minutes through the traffic there. It's a bit busy on the northbound side past Junction 10 as well, and if you're heading into London on the M1, queues from Bricketwood down toward Watford Junction 6 to 5. A41 southbound slow moving from Hemel Hempstead to Kings Langley, unconfirmed reports of an accident through there earlier. On the M25, heavy from the M11 to Potter's Bar through the roadworks, M1 to the M40 is queuing, the A1 into London through Boreham Wood looking really slow from the Holiday Inn junction to the Mill Hill Circus area and on the trains First Capital Connect 30 minute delays Kings Cross through to Cambridge and Peterborough because of overrunning works at Welling Garden City earlier this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Adam, it's 8.31, let's get the news and sport now, here's Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Headlines: Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. President Zuma of South Africa has called on people around the world to pray for Nelson Mandela, who's critically ill in hospital. And a disability rights campaigner from Luton will hand in her 45,000 signature petition against care cuts to Downing Street later today. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Australian coach Mickey Arthur has been sensationally sacked on the eve of the Ashes series with England. The South African was dismissed after a meeting with Cricket Australia Chief Executive James Sutherland in Bristol. Meanwhile, England threw away the chance to win their first ever 50-over international titles. They suffered a five-run defeat to India in the final of the Champions Trophy at Edgbaston. Wimbledon gets underway today with British number one Andy Murray saying he's better equipped to handle the pressure. Murray missed out in last year's final to Roger Federer, but recovered in winning the Olympic gold a month later, then collected his first Grand Slam at the US Open and the Scots aiming to go one better at SW19 12 months on from last year's heartbreak. I come in wanting to try and to try and win the event and I've prepared as best as I could you know this this tournament obviously means means a lot to me and that was pretty obvious after the final last year and I, I just think because of what's happened since then that you know if I can manage to get myself into the latter stages of the tournament that you know I'd be better equipped to, to deal with the, the pressures that, that go with that. Locally, Tara Moore is a wild card in the women's tournament. She's from Potters Bar, trains in Hatfield and will play Kaya Kanepi from Estonia. And Dave Rice will play in the doubles event probably tomorrow. He's also a wild card and is based at the Gosling Tennis Centre in Wellin. Finally, the Hertfordshire show jumper Philip Miller has won the prestigious Hickstead derby on his grey gelding Kerry TRZ. The 36-year-old produced the only clear round to beat Trevor Breen and William Funnell to take home the first prize of £36,500. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 9 o'clock. Across beds, hearts and bucks This is Ian Lee BBC Three Counties Radio BBC Three Counties Radio here every weekday morning between six and nine. Hey, if you want to carry me around in your pocket for a fee, you can. I reckon, what, 50 quid? If you don't want to pay, you can get the podcast of the show for free. Wowzers. And we are definitely in the top 100 of the iTunes chart. We were in the top 10. We're in the top 100. I think I've not looked for a while. We may have slipped out of that. But we're in the top 20 news and politics. (laughs) News and politics? They've not listened to the show, have they? Fools. Uh, Coming up, uh, we're talking um, caravans, we are talking rabbits, we're talking tennis. But before that, we're talking minicabs. 
Over 200 minicab drivers went on strike in Bedford on Saturday. You may have been affected by this. You tried to call a cab in Bedford Saturday night. You could have been in for a little bit of a shock. It was over a dispute with the council leaving uh, revellers stranded in the town centre. The drivers took their protest to Borough Hall over what they see as a heavy-handed approach over driver suspensions. Well, our reporter, Paul Scoynes, has been looking into this. Paul, what's the problem? Okay, this uh, particular incident on Saturday night stems from uh, an alleged incident which took place about a month or two ago and the taxi driver um was uh, involved in an incident with another fellow driver uh, not a fellow taxi driver but a fellow road user uh, they got into a bit of a um uh, not not a, a, a contretemps if you like a little bit of to and froing um the driver taxi driver was taken to a tribunal uh where he was accused of driving aggressively speeding and using uh, and 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 using sort of inappropriate gestures, if you like. Now he was cleared out of all of those, uh, all of those, uh, those, those charges. However, because the other driver had taken a photograph of him on a mobile phone, whilst you know presumably in the vehicle with the engine switched on, yeah. um, the taxi driver thought, "Well, I'm going to do that too." And took a, a photograph for evidence. So the driver who wasn't a taxi driver used his mobile phone. Mm-hmm. The taxi driver um, retaliated by using his mobile phone whilst driving. To take a photograph. Well, he said he was stationary. Right. So at traffic lights, there was a few cars in front of him. And uh, and so he took a photograph too. He said for, a, for you know, for evidence purposes, if you like. Um, now, the council cleared him of all those charges... However, he uh, he was then sort of told, well, we're going to suspend your licence for four weeks because you were using a, a mobile phone whilst in a vehicle which, you know, you were in control of, okay. i.e. it was it was switched on. So that, that sort of led to this particular problem, although, you know, there have been other instances which have, have, have caused the taxi driver's concern. So are you saying that there has been tension between the taxi drivers uh, and um, uh, the council before now this is what i've been told so okay. i've been told that they've been uh the the the, the, the sort of driver you're about to speak to but i'll show the gentleman that this happened to said mm. that in the last two years they've had more drivers suspended for what he deemed minor and trivial matters than in the last 20 years he's saying that the council are taking a particularly heavy-handed approach in the way they apply the rules okay well we can we can speak to uh, balal shana good morning balal Oh, hello, good morning. You're a spokesperson for the private hire drivers. Your dispute seemed to trigger this off. You're the gentleman we were just talking about uh, who was involved in an incident with another driver. Uh, why do you think the council are being heavy-handed? Uh, well, I don't know why the council is being a bit heavy-handed. I mean, we, we had a perfectly well uh, convictions policy uh, which has been in operation for a number of years. Uh, they've updated this last year. It's coming to effect uh, since January, uh, but the process has started over the last couple of years, uh, and it seems to be a lot harsher uh, than the previous one. Uh, the previous one was perfectly working fine. Why uh, do you dispute? You've been suspended for four weeks. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Why do you? Why do you dispute that? Well. I mean, I work on several voluntary organisations uh, within Bedford Borough. Uh, and within my local community, I explained to the committee. Right, that but, but why? But th- th- that, that's that's great. But why do you dispute the fact you've been suspended from taxi driving for four weeks? Well, I dispute the fact because the allegations which I was brought before the committee were allegedly for uh, aggressive driving, uh, swearing, 
and speeding, which were completely rejected. But you've been, how, am I right, correct. Bilal, am I right that you've been suspended for using your mobile phone whilst in charge of a vehicle? Is that, is that what the four-week suspension is for? That is what they suspended me for. Did you use? Did you use a mobile phone whilst? Did you use a mobile phone whilst in charge of a vehicle? I was stationed at the traffic lights. I had been taken a picture of. Right. For which I believed I was being harassed. Okay, I, but you know a that's a, had, a driver had followed me round yep. uh, using a longer route, presumably. So he must have been speeding himself. He he, he was gesturing behind me, uh, and he'd taken a picture of my vehicle. Okay, uh, but, I was but, the one that felt threatened, so I'd taken a, one from my rear view mirror while stationary. Right. Uh, uh, but you realise that's? Do, do you realise that's inappropriate? Yes, I can understand from from the point. Which you're not you supposed to use a mobile phone whilst you're in charge of a vehicle, are you? Well, I explained, what I explained to the committee was that we are expected to be the eyes and the ears of the road for the police. We are Sorry? 500 taxi... We are expected to be the eyes and the ears for the police. Who has given, given that responsibility to we, cab drivers? Well, well, it's not a responsibility. It's a responsibility as a member of the public. I right. mean, if an incident occurs on, on, on the streets of any town, uh, we're... we're Expected to support the police, and we do, but not by and breaking the law. And, and, it's, and, and it's and it's illegal. It. It's illegal, Bilal, to use a mobile phone whilst you're in a uh, you're in, in control of a vehicle. If we, if an incident was to occur and we stopped our vehicle on the side of the road and took a picture for the police's evidence, for the police's evidence, uh, is that the responsibility of any you, member of the public or not? You hadn't stopped your vehicle at the side of the road, though, had you? I was I was completely stationary at completely traffic lights. Stationary. I'll, the inconvenience of, of that incident was that I was actually stationary at the traffic lights. Okay. I wasn't moving anywhere. The, state, the lights were completely red. Uh, he, he made gestures behind me. I felt as I was the one that was being harassed okay. and threatened. So uh, I just lifted the phone and took the picture okay. uh, the, from uh, a rear view mirror. Well, uh, Paul, Paul Scoins wants to say something. Paul. So, uh, yes. Ian, this wasn't the only incident which did lead to this, right? right? There have been several other ones. And uh, what the, uh, the the drivers told me that uh, a few months ago as a, a driver was, was given three points for speeding. Mm. Now, what the what the, apparently the compliance team at the council have said is because they didn't notify them immediately after the incident occurred, uh, then they were sort of deemed to being breach of a, of a timeline guideline. Now, now I've I've received a, a speeding fine before. I wasn't told immediately the instant you know uh, the second after I'd been I'd been caught. So I was notified by post some weeks later. Yeah. Now what they're saying is that the council were backdating it to the time when it should have been you know when it actually happened. Okay. So rather than sort of apply it from the perspective of. Uh, when when they received the notice, you know, notice from the DVLA, yep. uh, they were taking it to the time when the actual camera went off. So that was one instance. There, there was another one about a, a guy who took a. Um uh, a vehicle into a local garage because he heard a noise going and uh, uh, and and he wanted to get the part fixed it was uh, still under warranty so he took it back to the old garage uh, to get it repaired but the garage he took it to to get inspected reported it to the council the council then just took the uh, license from the driver so it's almost like the, the the drivers are saying that they've had you know low leeway there's been a very little sort of amount of of of, of to and fro between the council they've also said they've lost a lot of communication as well so these are some of the reasons that led to 
up to well you know i've been told up to 300 drivers but officially we're saying 200 so uh, there seems to be a bit of a breakdown in communication between the drivers and the council said that they're not commenting specifically on allegations they said that parliament has made councils the licensing authority for taxi and private hires and uh, and the, the council regards the use of mobile telephones by drivers as highly dangerous and they say if there's clear evidence of such a thing then they have to act and that was a statement that was given to one of the local papers this week Bilal, will, will there be more strikes do you think i mean we've clearly uh, put our concerns towards the council i mean several drivers are very uh, agitated with you know the response that uh, they're receiving from the council uh, on very minor and trivial points we this will continue i mean we believe we're one of only uh, several sectors which are licensed by Bedford Borough Council, is the same stringent and harsh action being taken against every other licensing sector within Bedford Borough? No, it isn't. So why is it that the taxi trade and the private hire drivers are the ones that are being persecuted in this manner for very trivial uh, and minor incidents and, and, and even just allegations? Why, why do you think... Why do you think... evidence or they're even proven guilty? Why do you think I you're being know. persecuted? Are we... Uh, our uh, understanding of it is, and several drivers' understanding is, that we're just a very easy target because we're independently uh, licensed and uh, actions being taken independently against each of these individual drivers. When when are you next looking to uh, enforce some strike action? Well, hopefully we're presenting the, the statement to the council, uh, which, you know, we've, we've had, uh, even though they're aware of what's going on, they still have not contacted anybody. Uh, and again, this is just another one of, you know, the arrogance in one sense that, you know, uh, they're refusing to even sit and listen. What, uh, would you, what, what mean, do you this, want to achieve, Balal? What, what is it you're hoping to achieve with these strikes? Well, we're hoping that the council will actually take into consideration how harsh they are applying, you know, uh, this law, uh, which, you know, a character and conviction policy, which they've designed and, and put into effect. Uh, and we want it reviewed. We so, want, there are several other incidents. Yeah. If they you lifted know, your four-week suspension, issue. would you call off the strikes? It's not just... It, this isn't about me. Right. The strike action wasn't taken because I've been suspended for four weeks. So if they lifted the four-week suspension, you would still continue with the strikes? This isn't... Yes. I mean, the, the drivers feel that the, the issues which we have raised need to be listened to and need to be reviewed. The policies which the council takes out regarding just private hire drivers rather than any other sector, for example, clubs, pubs, restaurants. You know, we're not the only sector which is licensed by Bedford Borough Council. So why is it that because an allegation occurs against a private hire driver, we're instantly, you know, perceived as being guilty uh, rather than going through the due process of, you know, uh, the investigation and then applying, you know, uh, a suspension if that's or, you know, in my case, the complaint uh, which I was there for was rejected, but because something within the statement was read, I wasn't there for, you know, that allegation. Well, uh, we, we have to end it there. I hope before you got your, your point across, and do keep us informed uh, and let us know if you're planning any more strikes. Paul Scoynes, thank you very much uh, indeed. Ever stayed in a caravan? Uh, yeah. Was it hideous? Um, it wasn't great. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A1 southbound delays as you come toward the Black Cat roundabout from Kimbolton. 15 minutes worth. We had 
reports of an overturned car near to the roundabout earlier this morning, but they weren't confirmed. The M11 is still looking really slow. Severe delays after the accident earlier south from Walden to Bishop Stortford. London-bound M1, you'll find that slow from the M25 down toward Watford, Junction 6A to Junction 5. The A41, very slow from Hemel Hempstead toward the M25 at Junction 20. There were reports of an accident along there earlier this morning. A1 into Borehamwood and down toward London, that's looking slow from the Holiday Inn Junction down toward Mill Hill. Then on the M25, anti-clockwise, it's heavy traffic from Waltham Abbey through the roadworks toward Potter's Bar and queues from Kings Langley down to the M40 Junction 20 to 16. High Wycombe, very busy on the A404 from the Handycross roundabout toward the Bisham roundabout. And the A41 in Aylesbury looks like it's crawling a little coming toward the Walton Street roundabout. We've still got some delays for First Capital Connect, up to 30 minutes worth. Kings Cross to Cambridge and Peterborough. It was overrunning works at Welling Garden City early this morning. And Chilton now reporting delays of up to 15 minutes between Birmingham Snow Hill and Leamington Spa. This is because of a signalling problem further up their lines at Warwick Parkway. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much. More from Adam in 15 minutes. 8.47 or thereabouts, it's Monday the 24th of June. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Labour has called for an urgent inquiry into claims that the Metropolitan Police tried to smear the family of the murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence. A disability rights campaigner from Luton will hand in her 45,000 signature petition against care cuts at Downing Street later. In sport, Wimbledon gets underway this morning with British number one Andy Murray saying he's come to terms with perhaps never winning the Wimbledon title. Coming up, we'll be t- talking more about Wimboringdon. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, we're waking up to a much calmer week of weather, a little bit of a more settled picture. Despite that, we are still seeing one or two showers floating through already parts across, uh, parts of uh, Buckinghamshire and watching on the satellite, but also some sunny spells, some brighter spells expected, and the wind will gradually get a little bit lighter. Maximum temperature later, 19 Celsius, that's 66 degrees in Fahrenheit. Now, any showers this afternoon will die away, leaving a pleasant evening, actually, some sunshine to enjoy. And then clear skies overnight means temperatures dip right the way down to 6 or 7 Celsius that's 45 degrees in Fahrenheit a bright start to Tuesday but the cloud increases but the temperature's still pleasantly warm and that's really the story of the week, we'll have some sunshine one or two light isolated showers but temperatures returning to average for the time of year. Thank you very much Every weekday morning, questions are asked. What should the government do next to stop people smoking? Who do you blame for our failing high streets? Opinions are formed. There is no place in a civilised society for people like that. They should get real. Part of me says it is wrong. And you get to have your say. I think the whole thing is absolute garbage, frankly. Join in with the big phone-in from nine. Not everyone will agree. What an interesting conversation. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from nine. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Here until uh, nine o'clock, JVS will come in and take over uh, and do an excellent job as he always does. Lots of stuff this morning. We've been all over the shop. Tennis, it's been good though. It's been it's been a good um, all over the shop. Rabbits, tennis, caravans, immigrants, taxis. We've, we've ticked pretty much every box. We might as well give up for the week. We've done a week's worth of news in one show. There you go. Uh, Alan's in Hartford. Alan, I'm getting a pet rabbit today. Can you give me some tips? Um, yeah. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not Alan. It's Don Alan. Do, do, Dom Alan. Yeah. Do, uh, Dom or Don? 
Don. Don? Yeah. Okay. Um, when I was a young lad, we kept them bread rabbits to eat. Uh, so? <laughs> yes. What? Yeah, we, my dad used to keep the rabbits and breed them. And when they were big enough, we ate them and cooked them. Is it true, Dom, that yeah. um, rabbits breed like rabbits? Well, yes, but you kept them in separate lockers and only breed them when you want to. Yeah, not when they want to. You're in control. Yeah, you're in control. Who yeah. did the killing, Dom? My dad. Oh, and how did he do it? Well, broke the neck. Oy, ay, ay. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your trip to school, kids. <laughs> uh, it, 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 and you... I'll tell you what, them rabbits tasted lovely. Oh. How, how did you cook them? Oh, mum used to bake them, boil them, and anyway, you know, cook ba- them. <laughs> baked rabbit? Oh, yeah, baked, baked stuffed rabbit was gorgeous. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, they baked, they just cleared them, stuffed it up and stitched it up and then roasted it in the oven. What did you stuff it with? Oh, oh, just stuffing the same as you do with chickens. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, listen, I'm pulling a face. This is where food comes from. This is what food is. Yeah, it's yeah. important that, that people know that, that, that this is... Well, what? in them, them days, we were, you know, it was in... The, in the years of the depression yep. and the rest of it, we had to do things. Well, do you know what? This is maybe we're, we're, times of austerity now, and you, you mm. try telling you know someone who lived w- through World War Two that having only two cars and three mobile phones is a time <laughs> of austerity. But that's what people used to do. They, they would breed yeah. their own food. They would grow their own food. Maybe we need to bring this back, Tom. Maybe we need people. Some people grow their own vegetables. I know it's fashionable oh, yeah, to have chickens yeah. again, but maybe we should be breeding rabbits, breeding goats in the back garden. Yeah, chickens. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. This is what we need to be doing. People have, have forgotten and lost these skills of survival. Yeah, yeah. Dom, I appreciate your rather graphic uh, description of uh, your horrific childhood. Thank you very much indeed. It's true, I'm kind of pulling a facing and we're all wincing here, but it is important, isn't it, that, that people know where their food comes from? Although yesterday I was watching a nature programme. Um, about, about flamingos. Who knows why flamingos are pink? Anyone? It's because they eat prawns. It's because they eat prawns and shrimps. Um, and uh, we're watching flamingos, me and my boy and my wife, and the, a baboon appeared. And I said to my wife, are you sure, you sure you want the three-year-old to watch this? She said, why? There's a baboon has appeared and there are thousands of flamingos. I know how this is going to end. No, 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 it'll be fine. He's three and a half. He needs to learn about this stuff. This baboon steamed towards the flamingos, grabbed them. Oh, it was, it was awful. It was a massacre. And the voiceover's going, and the baboon has uh, steamed in... It didn't say steamed, actually. The baboon has uh, attacked the flamingos and is killing them. And here you can see the baboon ripping the head off of a flamingo. And I'm going to my wife, you sure you want the boy to see this? Are, are you sure he's old enough to deal with this? And uh, she says, yeah, he'll be fine. So the boy goes, what is the, ba- what is the baboon doing to the flamingo? And... Um, what was the baboon doing to the flamingo? And my wife goes, "Oh, it's 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 killing the flamingo." And the boy's starting to get upset. Why is the uh, why is the baboon killing the flamingo? Oh, it's eating it. Why why is the baboon killing the flamingo? And I said to my wife, "Maybe we should turn the channel over now." And we did. And do you know what was on? <laughs> it wasn't, but it's gonna be. Oh dearie me, Justin.
Hello, Ian. You like your sports. Even you can't like this elitist tosh, can you? It's not elitist, come on. It, yes, it may be upper class. It may be. Oh, hello there. Welcome to Wimbledon, everybody. Come in for your <laughs> strawberries and cream <laughs> and your Justin, champers. Justin oh, trying nice to do a posh tight voice. white shorts. He yes. can't do a posh voice. <laughs> Even his posh voice sounds common. Oh, leave it. Do you know what, Ian? I went down to Wimbledon last year. I wasn't allowed in. Yeah. I had to go and do an interview, and it was fascinating. On the way down to London, there I was on the train. I thought, yeah. where am I? They were speaking a foreign language. They were talking posh. They were reading The Guardian. They were more suntan than me. It was an experience. Sorry, I wasn't listening to you at all. I've never heard this bit of the theme tune before. Here we go. In your tight white shorts. Wimbledon, it's tennis for the tops. <laughs> it is really dull. What channel is Neighbours on tonight? <laughs> channel 5, Channel 5. They bought it a few years ago. Anyway, you've been out and about. <laughs> Sorry. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that, Justin. We should sing the Wimbledon theme more often. Let's maybe, go. Th- maybe... I tell you what, this is a great idea. Let's go to the BBC and say, look, OK, yeah. we know it's a bit boring. We know the theme tune's been there for years. Why don't we put some vocals on there and just watch the audience come in? We can double the audience for this. <laughs> You're so old-fashioned. Let's go and put some vocals on there, guys. <laughs> uh, Justin, you have been speaking to people about the elitist sport of tennis today. What have they been saying? Yes, I've gotten off of you very soon. But so, yes, yeah, some clips coming up here. Ashley at the end certainly doesn't hold back. I've been asking people, is tennis just for toffs? Uh, no, I don't think it is at all. Um, everyone wants to play tennis when, when Wimbledon comes out. Even even the start of the summer, when the French opens around, makes everyone want to play tennis. And it's the only reason, the only way we're going to get good at tennis is if more kids want to start playing at schools and stuff like that. It's not just a game for posh people, then, as far as you're concerned. No, not at all, not at all. Everyone can play tennis. I don't think I don't think it's for posh people at all. There's no reason why it would be. Well, here's Gemma. Gemma, you just come out of the gym. You are sweaty, aren't you? I am indeed. You have to some five k. Five k. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Get your breath back. We'll ask you this question. Is tennis just for toffs? What do you think? Not at all, no. Um, I mean, my other half's going in a couple of weeks' time to watch it. He's not a toff by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Wimbledon's, you know, obviously great for the British public, but I wouldn't say it's just for toffs. Everyone can go and enjoy it and watch. But when was the last time you played tennis? Um, a couple of weeks ago, on holiday. That was on holiday. What about in the UK? Oh, God, probably when I was at school. So, uh, just finding the time. Ashley, tennis, is it just for toffs? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you don't see many chavs like me go down to Wimbledon, do you? <laughs> I don't think you'd get let in. So, when you watch it on TV, you think, oh, it's just for rich, when posh people. I watch people. it on TV and I see the people in, the, in like, um, the audience and that, I think they look a bit up their cells, yeah. But I don't know anyone who plays tennis. I don't, like, I don't know anyone that plays tennis. I don't know anyone that likes tennis in school or anything. The, the, the posh kids used to play it, yeah. <laughs> So when you were at school, uh, the posh kids played tennis, and you lot, the chavs, you didn't. Yeah, we was around the back end smoking a fag, weren't we? <laughs> Have you ever been around the back end smoking a fag, Justin? Uh, couldn't possibly comment there. Oh, okay. Classy, Ashley. Classy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those are the listeners of BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, well I can't complain. Uh, so it is, it is a very elitist, stuck-up sport, isn't it? I think it is quite upper class, put it that way. I think a lot of people that, that go to Wimbledon... Again, I can only comment here on what I've seen myself. The amount of people getting out of these taxis, it was yeah. like, wow. Um, the thing wh- is, with, people with football, 
you can go and get a tennis ball, you get a ping pong ball, you get a football, you can go and c- kick around anywhere. With tennis, you need the you need the right ball, you need the rackets, you need to go to an expensive club. It just costs a fortune. Here's my offer to you. Yes, Justin. This week, let's go and play tennis together. What do you reckon? Oh, I, I will totally. I mean, I will beat you at tennis. Yes. You reckon? Oh, of course I will. It's easy. Come to my local club, Leverstock Green in Hertfordshire. Let's play. Last week it was the tandem. This yeah. week I'm going to whip your backside when it comes to tennis. Okay, well let's see who's got the best grunt, shall we? Here we go. I think we've got it. Excellent. Justin was doing the women's grunts. I was doing the men's. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'll, I'll, th- 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 that's a deal, sir. Okay, let's do it. Thanks, Ian. Ta-ta. There we go. It's, um, why have I said yes to that? Oh, that's stupid. Nonsense, that's going to be Nick Dealey playing tennis. Um, we'll be following the tennis, no doubt, throughout the next coming uh, fortnight. Mark my words, you'll be excited the first day. Oh, Wimbledon's on tonight. Tuesday, you might be going, oh, Wimbledon, we'll have it, Wimbledon. Wednesday, Wimbledon's still on. Thursday, oh, for goodness sakes, Wimbledon! That's how your week will pan out, I guarantee it. And we know, Andy Murray has himself said he's not going to win it anymore. He doesn't stand a chance of winning it. He's admitted he probably won't be winning it. So what's the point? What's the point? If you're going to type something, type <laughs> type it so I can read it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give JVS a call for his big phone in. This morning he's asking, do you think this country is becoming too hostile to immigrants? I think that's what he's asking. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still delays on the A1 southbound from Kimbolton toward the Black Cat roundabout, taking about 15 or 20 minutes to get through. We did have unconfirmed reports of an overturned car near to the roundabout earlier this morning. Still severe delays on the M11 as well. Now, there was an accident earlier between Saffron Walden and Bishop Stortford, junctions 9 and 8, and everything's still looking really slow both ways through there. M1 London bound, you've got delays coming into London from the M25 down toward Watford, junction 6A to 5. The A41 very slow from Hemel Hempstead toward the M25 at Kings Langley, and then the A1 into London from Boreham Wood down toward Mill Hill. There's a fair bit of a queue on the cameras. M25 anti-clockwise heavy from Waltham Abbey to Potter's Bar through the roadworks. It's queuing from Kings Langley to the M40 as well. And the A404 in High Wycombe looking slow at the Bishop Roundabout. First Capital Connect, 30 minute delays. King's Cross through to Cambridge and Peterborough. Overrunning works earlier this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. That's it. I'm back tomorrow at six o'clock. Stick around though. JVS is up next. Until me. Till tomorrow. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Monday and on today's Big Phone-In. Do you think this country is becoming too hostile to immigrants?